0: upright vertical elements which is an icy blue podocarpus and we've sent Aaron plant palette pages that we can go over at the end of our presentation that shows pictures of these items Um, so again we're trying to keep everything formal we're also suggesting a few new trees on either side of the main entrance um, which is a an esculus it's a horse chestnut it's a very old-fashioned tree Um, a very lovely tree, and then various other trees. Um, we're keeping the, the privet tree up at the north of the, the small side entrance. We're leaving that there. We're proposing um, California redbud are the other trees. And then the ground covers are, again, all drought tolerant, 50% native, 50% Mediterranean type plantings. quite a bit of color Uh, we also feel that it's important when we do these um, sustainable plantings for google campus um, city halls and newark etc we always try to introduce the element of attracting nature to the site hummingbirds butterflies uh, we think it's it's an added benefit and those type plantings do great in these type situations. So we've included some of those that are known attractors so that the employees, children, etc., can see nature in action. They attract butterflies, monarch butterflies to the site. We also will be incorporating some milkweed species, native and non-native to provide food source for monarch butterflies. Um, there's quite a bit of color here. I tried to, when I did the, the the colored plan, all of those colors are kind of what we're thinking of in terms of the plant material in instance the yellow uh, color for the grass areas is a coral forester grass that has a very strong upright plume then the other ones are a variety of uh, native and non-native mediterranean plants um, the lavender areas are lantana which you guys probably all know the thing about alameda is It's, there's a lot of possibilities. So we tried to bring it down to plants we know that it'll exist and thrive. Um, They're gonna take less maintenance than is occurring now. In fact, these type plantings, um, you don't want a maintenance gardener to come in and, and hedge it every 30 or 40 days or 60 days or whatever. So it's gonna be an educational experience or it's gonna be an education curve for your maintenance people. I mean, they, they should know how to do this. But they're not gonna come in and mow, blow and go. So it's that that'll be um, that'll be handled later down the road. But that's one thing we do is we can certainly educate any any questions that come up. Um, I go to
1: The next one Tom
0: Sure. Great. Okay, City Hall West. Um, Large area, 24,000 square feet almost. So it's it's over a half an acre of, of lawn area. Um, pretty much a similar idea. One thing to notice about City Hall West, there's an existing privet tree to the left of the main entrance towards West Mall um, Street, and it's it's dying. So we're proposing a couple of new trees there to replace that. There's mushrooms growing out of the roots of that tree. So we're proposing new trees. Um, again, we only have a few outside of that, only a few new trees proposed for this area and then more shrub trees. Again, it's the foundation planting that's, well, for this one, we're not removing the existing foundation planting. We're leaving it predominantly and infilling those gaps with foundation plantings similar to the east. So they're gonna be a combination of California native, um, flowering Mediterranean type plants again to attract birds and bees and butterflies. Um, and, and again, as, it, as you go out from that edge, then it'll drop down to a medium story planting, which is a lower uh, flowering planting also, and then a native Mediterranean type ground covers, pretty much as we're showing. One thing that's different about east, excuse me, about west, forgive me, because we have such large lawn areas, we're showing the incorporation of decorative gravel in those terracotta band areas, as a way of cutting back on, there'll be plantings in the edges of those, and then a larger, probably a cobble around the edges. But it's a way to um, do an area without all the planting, so we cut, we save water, and we save money on installation. And we've done this for quite a few parks and other commercial buildings, and it seems to, it's a nice feature. It's actually attractive when it's installed. It's just something a little different. It also is a good element for homeowners to look at and say, hey, we could do that in our front yard with some of the, the colorful plants around the edges, the drought tolerance stuff. Um, I think oh, up on the on the top side, I don't have a north arrow in front of me for, for well, wait a minute. I do right here. I'm sorry. This is um, north is north is to the bottom. Right. So on the south side, west midway. Um, we're gonna leave, most of those trees there are in pretty good shape on the um, west side. There is an, oh, that would be the yeah, yeah, the west, there is an existing um, mulberry tree we're recommending be removed because it's stressed. But the other trees are in pretty good shape and some of the foundation plantings would benefit from being limbed up to look like small trees. Again, right now they're being pruned into balls We would recommend that they just let them grow Um, some will be removed but we're planning on keeping most of them so it's um, for this one we're leaving quite a bit of of what's there and then working with it unlike east which is almost a complete um, new palette in terms of all the planting
1: So we have, as as Todd mentioned, we do have a plant palette. We weren't specifically going to go over it in too much detail, but just for sake of pictorial representation, um, Todd's mentioned ground covers and grasses and trees and shrubs. Um, So those are the main categories. And here's just a a sampling of ground covers that would meet the East Bay mud program requirement, meet the drought tolerant requirements, and are being considered for um, both sites. Um, so here's a look at those. Some of these are probably familiar to, to uh, most of you. Um, here's some of the grasses um, that are being considered for the sites um, and just some samplings of the trees um, and the shrubs. Uh, so our findings, staff findings, as, as you all know, the um, Alameda uh, Municipal Code requires that um, Historic Advisory Board find the proposed project consistent with the Secretary of the Interior Standards. Um, staff believes that the lawn conversions at both sites are consistent with the standards and that they maintain the spatial relationship between the existing landscape areas and the buildings and therefore preserve that important character-defining feature. I did want to talk about next steps, and then can certainly open things up for discussion. So, following tonight's uh, um, presentation, we intend to advance the design with community input. That would be done over um, December and then and January. Um, the plan, depending upon um, how quickly we can move um, those designs, is to definitely construct City Hall during those wet that wet weather window of the East Bay Mud Program. So essentially have City Hall done by April in a perfect world. We could have both sites done, but um, something tells me that we will probably uh, be better um, having City Hall West be done next fall at the start of next wet season 2022. Um, And this will be a very typical design bid build project for public works and um, yeah, so um, that's that and I guess Do we open it up for questions or Alan, do I pass things back to you?
2: Yeah, I think the board can take it. I think we'll probably have some questions. I know I have some questions. Um, Alan?
1: Alan, you're muted.
3: Sorry about that. Thank you. Chair Saxby, if I may just, um, uh, since this is the first time this board has uh, reviewed a certificate of approval related to landscaping, I thought it might be Helpful for the board to kind of understand uh, what your role and perspective would be Um, as uh, director smith explained uh, per the alameda municipal code the finding is consistency with the secretary of standards and the secretary standards as you know is really just a a lot of um, uh, guiding provisions Um, i think uh, tonight the decision in front of you is really one just confirming staff's analysis that what is character defining for both city hall sites is that spatial relationship and the existing landscape areas to remain um, and um, and but you can also further evaluate whether the uh, conceptual landscaping plans or if you have input on certain plant species insuring, ensuring that the plant profiles would maintain, are fairly consistent with what's existing, you may certainly um, include that if you choose to approve, The plan to move forward uh, include those um, items as conditions of approval or if you know of certain preferred plant species that you'd like to see uh, because those are more consistent with maybe you know the existing lawn you you may also specify certain plant species but um, i think uh, the direction that staff is looking for is uh, that you concur with the plan so that we could i think the next step really is for the public works department to work with east bay mud and so um to to move forward to to meet the planting timelines so that's that's all i wanted to add thank you
2: thank you and thank you for the presentation Um, you're welcome well i guess i'll just jump in here with a couple questions and i'll let others to chime in as well Um, so with regard to city hall i guess we're calling it city hall east on santa clara is there any information in the historic designation regarding the character defining features of the landscape i know with city hall west there is you know quite a bit of discussion about the character defining features of the landscape but i'm curious if there's anything similar for uh, city hall
3: um, i can take that question Chair Saxby. Um, uh, unfortunately not. Um, the the designation for City Hall occurred, I think in the 70s. There was probably, I think there was a, maybe a three page write- up document in the uh, 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 in the DPR form. I believe that was included as a link in the staff report um, that basically described the building and I think the significance of the building is primarily for its architecture. It does acknowledge that there were lands there's landscape beds. Around three sides of the building. But um, if you look at historical photos of City Hall, the City Hall grounds over time, you would see that the trees and shrubs have changed over time. And so I don't believe that the existing plants that are at City Hall today were the original. I mean, they're, they're clearly not. I could say that with a fact. They're not the original plants. Correct. And frankly, the Uh, The lawn areas, the demarcation of the lawn areas have also evolved over time. Um, For example, I think, I don't believe the flag. So you could sort of see the background. um, I can. My background. The the flagpole was not there originally there. (laughs) um, And even some of the trees have have shifted and moved over time. That's true.
0: There were a lot of palm trees from the pictures I've seen in the early days, which were very typical back then. Everything's changed now, of course. But um, for the day, it was a very typical sort of landscape for that building,
2: yes. But basically in the historic documentation, there's no there's no real reference to the importance of the landscape. Which
3: other than the fact that the uh, the, the spatial relationship, the the city hall grounds are characterized by city hall building and center surrounded by large areas of landscape. And yeah. and we're not proposing changes to the large
2: areas of landscape. Okay That's thank correct. you. So the 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 opposite, I think, is true um, at the City Hall West, where there's just this huge cultural landscape report that goes into quite a bit of detail about um, the character-defining features of the landscape, and you know, relating it to the overall Naval Air Station, and um, you know, talks about sort of a, a you know well manicured landscape. Um, and that it is an important character defining feature of the site and so my question then to to you is how are we meeting that standard how is this new landscape conforming to this well manicured uh character defining feature described in the cultural landscape report and if this landscape around city hall west changes, all of a sudden it's not relating to all the rest of the buildings in the Naval Air Station. Um, So significant changes to the way it looks actually will will pull it apart from the overall look of the Naval Air Station. So I'd like you to address those questions, please.
3: Yeah, and um, I can probably, would you like me to take a first shot at that, Todd? Take a first shot. I've been to the
0: site and looked at the existing plantings in the surrounding neighborhood and base some of our palette on that. So, but go. Yeah.
3: So, <laughs> um, the cultural landscape report. Uh, well, the Al- NAS Alameda Historic District is broken into different sections. So, uh, the, the 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 area that we're talking about is the administrative core, and it is true that uh, the majority of the buildings uh, have a site design where you have a building in the center surrounded by again large swaths of landscaping and. Um, the large swaths of landscaping are typified by large areas of grass, lawn, well-manicured lawns. Um, and then, with the City Hall West building, it's also facing the uh, the mall. Um, the document goes on to describe the specific uh, where 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 the cultural landscape report identifies certain species of plantings as important. It actually does call it out. For example, the mall. Uh, it calls out the actual lawn and the grass as being important. For the City Hall West building, it provides some guidelines for uh, that, that apply generally to uh, the landscape in the administrative core. What it does say is, it doesn't say grass, it doesn't say lawn, but it does say ground cover. And the, the character defining feature described there is having low ground cover around the City Hall West building and other buildings in administrative core. I do also want to point out that that doesn't mean you cannot have other forms of landscaping in the administrative core. In fact, uh, right across the street from City Hall West, I actually have a photograph, I need a probably a couple of minutes to bring that up, but right across uh, the street from City Hall West, uh, in another building in the administrative core, there, there's a building that uh, was probably built after the, the uh, wartime period, but it had uh, a very different landscape palette and very different landscape character. So um, I think the guidelines say that as long as you maintain the spatial relationship with landscape areas in the building and you generally stick to keeping um, ground cover in most of the landscape areas with sort of hedges and bushes around the foundations of the building that that would be consistent with the original design and the character-finding the feature. And Todd, I'll hand it over to you for any okay. supplements.
0: Um, Alan, is that building, I think is the one I saw, which is on the west side across Saratoga? Uh, yes. 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 I looked at that because I thought that they did a pretty nice job of um, picking plant palette that was based, that was drought tolerant. They have some blooming plants there. It's a much different palette than was uh, on the old, on the, and you're right. It was done after this building, no doubt on the uh, existing city hall, but some of those plants we have incorporated here. Uh, the other thing is, you know, um, <clears throat> we're trying to do a modern version. There there can be some tweaks here and there, but to me, what does well, I, I'm gonna be the devil's advocate here. What does well manicured mean? To me, that means that it's maintained and th- they're not gonna be out there mowing these these grasses it's the it's the opposite. They would be some of them would need to be cut back once a year, but it's the other end of the spectrum. But it still needs maintenance to pull the weeds, keep things looking good, cut back brown leaves. So the term well manicured would still be in. With uh, to me means well maintained. Um, that's still going to be a requirement. Um, some of the ground covers are very low. They're they're flowering. They're all drought tolerant. Um, they will not need hardly any maintenance at all. Uh, We're going to hold them in from the edges of the sidewalk so that they don't need to be cut back every year. They won't be need to be cut back for the first couple of years. Um, There will be some, some grasses we're proposing, but again, if, if, if need be, we, I mean, we can make adjustments. We, we believe that this is an appropriate uh, plant palette for this area, but again, if, if need be, maybe there's we could cut back some things and and, and features more of others and maybe fewer grasses if that's because that's that's a very different look. There's no question that's an emphatic. Um, it's it's a it's a different landscape than than I've seen out there, and I would agree with some of those comments. But again, everything would be well maintained. So I think it's 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 a, a trade off. Um, I think that again, we're trying to promote, um, uh, you know, butterflies and bees and birds and, and bees, etc. And to do that, th- there's some known attractors that meet that we're, rep- we're um, proposing, uh, and those don't get cut back five times a year. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not well manicured. They could be tipped, but you're correct. I, I don't think that you're not going to have to hedge these. So you're saving. Um, some cost on maintenance. You're going to be saving some. We know a lot of water costs. Excuse me. Um, that's. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's.
2: No, that's that's good. A good start. I'd I'd like to open it up to others for for questions. Um, any other board members have have some questions? Mr. Sanchez, you have to unmute yourself. I,
4: I have. Um, yeah. So thank you. So my question was really related to. Um, the, if any thought was given to the sort of the formality and the directionality maybe of the pathways, because it seems to me that um, I, I agree with you, Mr. Ainsworth, that I think that the planting can be interpreted in, and and well manicured can be interpreted in different ways. And I think that uh, I would agree that going to a different palette of more natives is, is not necessarily steering away from that. So I don't, okay. I don't connote well manicured necessarily with well manicured lawns per se. Right. But I, but I think at the same time, the mall and the administrative core in general seems to me to have sort of that very classic, very axial geometry in terms of the paving um, right. more so in the concrete than it does with, you know, with, the, with the lawns. Right. So it's these correct very rectilinear and, and geometric forms that are then planted in between. So I guess I would, I would ask maybe that you give some consideration to whether that maybe maintaining some of that formality with the materials that you're proposing, whether that could maybe um, keep us in that vein, right? And say, well, is that it, are, are those gravel paths rather than being more meandering and a little bit more organic, would having a little bit of an axial geometry to it maybe sort of keep that well manicured uh, look rather than. Uh, so just something to consider, sure. I guess. For me, that's the that's the one thing. When I i actually, as you were talking, I was looking at the building on Saratoga okay. that that you were referencing, and and I think it's it's quite nice what they've done. But again, it's it's sort of a departure a little bit from what the mall is, which is basically a very uh, geometric form. So I wonder if, if maybe something, and it doesn't have to be the entire site, but whether there's some, the access to the building or some of the axial elements could be accentuated by the planting and the path and the well, pathways.
0: I, I understand. And also um, we could accentuate the existing paths on the North and the South. That's where they all are, North or South. Mm-hmm. And and with some, um, you know, some borders of masses of a certain plant flowering so that we can define those in, in in a very traditional manner, and I would agree, uh, we could do the the gravel band, the arroyo area, uh, more geometric, um, more act, more linear, and make it not so free form, not like a creek bed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some and we could, and then then also some of the the ground cover areas. Um, I've just sort of shown them as general areas, again, we don't have to do this as serpentine. Again, some of the planting can be more uh, linear uh, on a grid, I mean, so that it's not so much serpentine, it would be a more geometric layout. And sure. we would yeah. do that for a modern plaza, for instance. Yeah. So they can be incorporated so that it's yeah. it's a different feel. Um, I was just just the first pass. Sure. So it can obviously be upgraded. Um, those are easily incorporated, I, I understand. Um,
1: um commissioner sanchez i did want to clarify um on either sites, so we are not changing any of the hardscape, so pathways will remain in their existing form so right. we aren't laying any new concrete and we're
5: not removing concrete
4: okay fair enough yeah i think for me it was just um and again it's a suggestion i don't I, like i said i think the the general approach is very sound and i and i think it's a good one um i would just sort of bear in mind maybe that it's the formality and so maybe it's an organic planting within sort of more formalized planting areas where the that's fine where the where the border is a little bit more defined but maybe the area within has that organic quality i think that both that could be quite lovely
0: i i agree um we we can make some adjustments
2: okay agree? great thank you so any other board members have questions uh mr Lau, i think uh, you yeah. raise your hand okay yeah
6: I just have uh, uh, two questions. One is, uh, um, I saw in the picture, you guys mentioned uh, only the front side of the city hall have a uh, like uh, two or three chairs. And, uh, um, and then like on the east side and the west side, I don't see any chair. And then one thing is uh, i the building is a uh, historical. Do you guys will be thinking about some uh, very, I cannot say special, but uh, something related to historical chair, put it there. Uh, same with the like the um, the light. I saw in the fund there were two or three lighting. I mean the street light in there. So is um, it you will use the historical lighting, uh, street lighting?
1: Let me. Can I just ask a clarifying question, or Commissioner? So when you say seating, you mean the benches that are being yeah. proposed at City Hall? Yeah,
6: okay, my, and yeah. then
1: the lighting.
6: The street lighting. You know, like the uh, the the light on the pole.
1: The existing street lights that are on Santa Clara and Oak.
6: Uh, actually in the fun or the city hall. I saw they have two posts in there. Is it you guys were using the, were, were, were the new one or using the historical one? I mean, I see. Yeah. Do, so yeah. two
1: almost two different things. This project at City Hall isn't really getting involved with the streetlights that are on Santa Clara, but our next item is going to be talking about streetlights. The project that Todd's working on with us is just interior back of sidewalk. So we're not dealing with the lighting that is on the streets if i'm understanding your question correctly in regards to the benches at this point um at this point we're just have them placed we have not thought all the way through the specifics the specific decor of the benches just that we would allow for seating in the area
6: but is it you're going to put more in the east side and the west side i only see in the fun um there are some
0: existing seating elements on the um west side underneath those two big yew trees over there. There's a table and yeah. some, um, it looks like an outdoor dining area for employees. But, but over on the other side, the uh, east side, we could incorporate some benches. We just, this was just sort of a a, a first pass. It says first thoughts, and that's not too far from the truth. Um, but yes, I agree. We can look at some historical benches. And actually, I thought about that. And that's why I didn't want to really start pr- throwing out benches because run the gamut from extremely modern, you know, e pay wood, or historical, which I like, and we have some manufacturers, that's a good idea, you know, wrought iron, whatever. Um, so we can, we'll, we'll, the next phase, we'll get into that. Okay. It's a thank good you. point. Thank
2: you. Okay, hey, thank you. Uh, uh, Miss Jones.
0: Um,
7: so once the landscape has been uh, solidified the plans will there be some kind of documentation to help maintenance um i guess manicure or you know preserve the intention of the landscape I don't so know Greg- <laughs> Great question, that's, Commissioner
1: that's Jones. Yeah, what's nice about the project is Public Works is the maintainer, so we we're the we get to be the lead on the project and and work with Gates and Associates on the plantings, and then we will have what we call as built or record drawings that will help our uh, maintenance staff. Although we do uh, use contract resources as well. Uh, you know, be familiar with the irrigation and the specifics. And we'll even have training that Gates and associate, as Todd had mentioned earlier, to make sure that we've set our maintenance staff up to be, because like Todd said, be, these are different, this is different than what we are used to. So there will be a little bit little bit of a learning curve, um, but it's definitely my intention to make sure we have a seamless pass off to maintenance after the plants are established.
0: We, we also, for other clients, um, I, I hate to throw this out there, but, uh, you know, Google and other, other city halls, etc. we've gotten involved with actually writing a maintenance um, outline. Special. Maintenance manual, yeah. A manual with the, the, the key points and you guys have seen them and it doesn't have to be too involved, but, you know, for instance, it would say these grasses, cut them back in January. I mean, it would yeah. be a little bit more specific. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, I will say we have inherited quite a bit of this type of landscaping in recent new developments since right. um, a lot of new development is subject to the, WELO, which water landscape ordinance, water efficiency landscape ordinance. So That's
2: it's it. not completely out of our
1: realm, but um, definitely uh, invested in making sure that we do it right.
0: That's right.
5: Great.
2: Thank you. Any other questions? Miss Witt?
5: So my question is about um, the City Hall East, I think is what we're calling it. Um, when I've been to a couple of protests there in the last um, couple of years, there has been there the 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 protesters fill the entire city hall area and the overflow goes into the grass. And so I'm wondering if these plants can be stood on or 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 was there a consideration to maybe push back the the plants so that to accommodate more people standing, especially because the population of Alameda is growing and you know we want to and that's the place that people gather to you know to to be heard so just want to make sure that that accommodation is made
0: actually I that's that's a good thought I, I I had a thought of gee do we maybe keep a 10 foot swath of of grass around the central art plaza area just kind of for that for overflow um and I mean we could I don't know that that's the thing to do, but the antithesis of that is provide an area. There are ground covers that we use in street medians um, adjacent to parking, drop off parking, et cetera, for developers that you can walk on. So I think that would be a good approach is that there's a 15 foot or at least a 10, 15 foot swath on either side of the central arc that is ground cover that'll look good and can be walked on. Because um, what I've... Again, what I've drawn in was just sort of schematic. We can make adjustments. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you. So, if there are there any other questions from the board members at this point, uh, I'd like to open it up for public comment. Do we have any speakers? Uh, Currently, only one person is raising their hand. First speaker is Betsy Matheson. Ms. Matheson. Thank
8: you. As an environmentalist, I'm glad to see this. And I have no historic concerns, except a concern about recent history that is not news to probably, I know it's not news to Ms. Smith and probably not news to anyone on this board, but about 10 years ago when the city did its Park Street tree replacement project, many (laughs) residents freaked out. And I know, this project will have community input, which is great, but the kinds of people who respond to calls to come to workshops or participate in zoom meetings are not the same people who freak out when something happens in the city that they they think they haven't been warned about. So I hope um, Sarah Henry can reach out on Nextdoor and every other local social media platform possible. And um, someone can make an effort to get an article in the Alameda Sun, both at the planning stage and then shortly before construction begins at both of these locations. Not only what's being done, but why it's being done. People will think, why are we spending money on landscaping? But thank you, it looks great. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Are there other speakers? No one else is raising their hand at this time. Okay. Well, bringing it back to the board. Um, so I think that was good discussion. Uh, I, I, for one, um, am, I'm a little less concerned about uh, City Hall East, given that it's not, uh, it's sort of a solo uh, building uh, it's not surrounded, as in a, it's not in a context of a, of a historic setting. Um, and, you know, I agree with the comment. I think it's a, it was a great idea, actually, that to, to modify the plan to create a little more standing room. I do think that's important to have a place for public forum uh, around City Hall. And I think it, another comment about the uh, the, the benches, uh, I agree with completely. That you know, places for people to to sit is also be an important uh, feature for that. Um, and I, but I think that the the less formal landscape plan actually could work there. Um, the City Hall West, I'm a little more concerned about. I think that Mr. Sanchez's comment about the formality of it is was right on target. Um, I think that that whole Naval Air Station is extremely formal in its concept and layout. And so the the informal sort of meandering planting beds um, and arroyos and that kind of thing seem a little out of place to me. Uh, I think that the material palette could be workable, but I'd like to see it sort of tied more into what's going on all around the naval air station so that there's some feeling of continuity with the adjacent buildings and i'm not sure about the building that's across the street that's been referenced i'm not sure if that's a contributing structure or not but um, but there's so many buildings there on site that are just basically surrounded by foundation plantings and lawn and so that's something we have to sort of acknowledge in um, what we're doing at city hall west Uh, it needs to feel like it belongs and not belongs to that group of buildings. Um, so yeah, those quick, are my go ahead Quick question. Sure. I don't know what
0: the future of this site is. I know, uh, for a long time, I've, I've heard stories about it being developed by developers, etc. So I, I had a big picture question, because I know we worked on Hamilton Air Force Base, a lot of years ago. Um, so I'm just curious, is 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 development going to happen? Is Is it going to stay in its existing state for the next 10 years? Or what's proposed?
2: Well, I think development is desired, but I'm not sure that it's happening as quickly as people would hope. Okay. Um, but but overall, it's gonna, you know, the the, the cultural, the character defining features of that cultural landscape are gonna okay. basically remain. That's fine. That, that the intent right. is is to keep it as an historic site.
0: Okay, I got that. And we can certainly, I, I'm, I'm thinking about how to make it more linear and and, and all of those elements could be, could be easily accomplished, so um, we're, we're open to that. I mean, definitely.
2: Okay, well, that's that's excellent. Um, would anybody else like to make some comments? Oh, come on! There we go. Miss Jones. <laughs>
7: um, yeah, it's just I was happy to hear that there'd be you know great documentation on how to maintain and what the intent is because, uh, especially. Someone like me with a opposite to green thumb and not knowing much about landscaping, uh, it's easy for, you know, plantings to do what they want to do. And so, uh, because you know we this is like a public facing area with you know just even um, the way you've described you know th- these areas are to be formal and they are you know sort of the gateway towards our city hall and, you know, where people meet and, you know, how our city is represented. So formality and just the serpentine um, shrubs and things that have s- sort of, in some ways, stood the test of time. You know, I've seen old pictures have that same shape with the shrubs and the rose bushes and mm-hmm. things like that. And um, I, I do think that there's room for it to sort of modernize into this era, but at, mm-hmm. at the same time maintain uh, the historicity and the, the I, I don't know if I'm, I'm kind of not using the right words here, but um, yeah, just maintain the, the feel of, you know, place.
0: Um, That's fine, I understand. That's yeah,
7: fine. and so I really appreciate that there'll be documentation, especially because here we are and we're sort of scrounging at whatever documentation is sort of available and making guesses, and and that's okay. But um, I think it's it's sort of a, a wonderful legacy to leave towards um, the future. And you know, I don't think that we're ever going to shy away from you know uh, drought resistant plantings and being more uh, eco conscious conscious. And I I think it's a wonderful. Um, evolution of uh, City Hall. So I think um, that's really exciting. Um, Oh, and then I think maybe this will be like a later discussion, or I don't know if it would be back to this board. But as it comes to, like areas of seating and benches and stuff, I, I don't think it's necessarily that important to recreate history. Um, you could go for the raw iron stuff, you could go for the modern, but um, I think that's, you know, it, it, I I would hope that the artists and the landscapers and, uh, you know, all the creatives involved in this process will will come to that solution. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily so important to recreate history, right? It, that's never our intent in the Historical Advisory Board to um you know incorrectly you know try to go back to you know when city hall was created so i'll be interested in what you come up with because i'm always curious about how to you know marry technology and also keep the sort of charm and the history of like where alameda came from so okay. that'll be interesting discussion but um yeah that was that's all for my comments
2: thank you that's great Mr. Sanchez, did I see you raise your hand? Are you
4: Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, just wanted to say thank you uh, to both of you, um Mr. Ainsworth and Director Smith. I think this is a wonderful uh project and it's going to be wonderful for it, you know, I think in in particular at uh at the West uh, City Hall site. You have sort of this wonderful opportunity to set a new tone and and Kind of take us in an, in a new direction that That's true. you know yeah and as long as we Very remain true. mindful of of sort of the the historic character of it i think that okay. um yeah it's really exciting i think that it's definitely a step in the right direction so anyway i just wanted to let you know that the please don't let our comments uh deter you from or make you feel like we're not excited i think that it's really a, a wonderful uh, direction that you're going in and obviously the motivation to uh, conserved water is is a great aim, so I, I feel like it's a it's a wonderful uh, approach. Yeah, so thank you for that, and we look forward to seeing what your finished
2: product looks like.
0: Yeah, easily modified, great. Thank, thank
2: you. you. Sure. Other comments, Miss Wit?
5: Um, so I think just my last my last sort of question comment is um, the, is the mall that's connected to is the mall connected to City Hall West? Or is that a is that owned by someone else? Entirely? It's across.
1: Uh, well, it's across the street. It's owned by the city, yes. but it's a separate. It's a separate area. Okay. Yeah, okay. you get across the uh, West Mall Square. Actually, divides the boundaries of the building, and then you cross the street to the mall on or the okay. grounds. Yeah. So, so whenever
5: that so whenever that is developed, that'll probably inform... it'll however City Hall is. Um, is um design landscape design it'll probably inform how the mall is is designed
3: too correct may may i just step in and just make a couple of clarifying points um first the mall is not part of the lawn conversion project and also just to answer the earlier question i think about future development within the administrative core the administrative core i would almost argue is the most important most historic area of the nas alameda historic district and the city is not actually planning new development on the mall i think that um, that is such an important character defining feature of the former naval air station that that area is likely to remain um, preserved to be preserved well
2: yeah i'm sorry i didn't mean to to say that i thought that that would be involved with new development i thought that that would be involved with some adaptive reuse and preservation of the existing buildings but but essentially the the mall and the naval air station would remain unchanged from its current condition
3: right now that's not to say that the council might say, "Hey, that's a large piece of grass, and it's, it's also very, very large. <laughs> it's very large, and so maybe that's a future." That's place. what I was thinking. I and it, and
5: if, if we're making, if if we're gonna make changes to convert to drought resistant um, and use less water, that would be a great place to start or continue. <laughs>
9: well,
1: one of our just a side note. One of our no cost measures is we have reduced amount of watering during this time of the mall lawn. Um, we've pilled, pared it back a bit, not to cause it to go brown, but um, we are
0: stressing it a bit during this time.
2: Hopefully, there'll be some rain.
0: Yeah, yes, again, it needs to start raining again.
2: Yeah. Um, Mr. Loud, you have some comments?
6: Oh, I, I think it's great. I mean, we look forward to see the new uh, new look on the city hall. So
2: so I've heard that from several board members. Um, the resolution that we're being asked to approve for each of the, the two buildings um, is approval to convert the existing landscape to a drought tolerant. Um, and I, I think you know, we have sort of a unanimous consent on that point. But I, I also think that we as a board would like to see the progress of the design and have a chance to comment on some of the changes we talked about tonight. And um, Mr. Ty, do you have any thoughts on that issue?
3: Um, I I think there there's there's probably one question for uh, Director Smith as well as uh, maybe a consideration for the board to decide. On. And give, given, I think the first question would be. Um, the in terms of the next steps for example uh i think i think there's there's consensus that the concept landscaping plan for city hall is good to go Um, i've heard some comments that uh at city hall you would like to see uh, a design that would create a little bit more public standing area public gathering areas it's okay if there were more benches i don't know if benches were part of the program but uh, the the board was amenable to um, staff moving forward additional benches uh, uh, if possible and then also um, you would like to see some written documentation of maintenance right so those are all items we can incorporate as part of uh if you're ready to to give the approval of a certificate approval for city hall uh, if there was a motion that incorporated those items as conditions approval we can incorporate that into the city hall resolution and move that forward. Uh, city Hall West. I am hearing that um, you would, and I guess the question is, if you would like to see the progress, how would you? Would you like a uh, more of an informal report out, or would you like to have, or would you prefer to not approve tonight and see the final plans before approving? But if that was the case, I would, I would, I, I would suggest we try to understand how that might impact our schedule in terms of working we have to work with east bay mud we there's probably uh design and bids that you know timelines associated with that so i would like to be able to give uh, our public works director an opportunity to weigh in before we we sort of decide on how how that's sequencing um sure yeah
1: um so city hall East, which Todd, I think you coined that term. We've never really called it that before, but city hall um, (laughs) there. It's okay. City Hall makes total sense (laughs) in this in this context. Um, uh, Council has given us direction to ensure that that is constructed during this wet season. So the timeline to come back to the commission for City Hall would be nearly very close to nearly impossible, particularly because We need to do public, you know, an opportunity for public input and education, as you heard from the caller um, that came, uh, that called in. Um, And then we do have to do our um, bidding process to have it done by April. So um, taking um, um, any conditions that are given on the approval and then not coming back um, um, to the Commission for City Hall on Santa Clara is really the only option to get it built. City Hall West, as I mentioned in our next steps, the, we likely would not um, move towards construction until next fall. So there could be an opportunity to come back to the commission. Maybe if that's at um, a 60% design, we are working with Todd, there'll be versions. So we'll, we'll have a 60% design. That might be a good opportunity to bring that back to the commission.
2: Okay, that, that sounds, uh like the right way to go then. I think that tonight we should make a motion um, to approve, well, I will make an motion to approve that uh, the landscaping for, that we approve the landscaping for uh, uh, City Hall uh, to be converted to uh, drought tolerant per the, the design that was presented tonight with the uh, comment comments that uh, we're going to create additional standing room around the entry plaza
0: right
2: and we're going to um consider uh, additional seating in the landscape and um i think those are the two main comments am i missing something
1: Just uh, the maintenance and making sure that we maintain it to keep its original the, the intended aesthetic
2: yes um so with with that motion uh do i have a second Mr. Lau, seconds. So we're going to take a vote. Are we ready to take a vote? Everybody, yeah, we're ready to take a vote. Okay. Yes. Um, All in favor. Aye. 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 So we have five yeses.
3: Good. Motion passes. That motion passes passes. City Hall.
2: Yeah, and then for the the City Hall West, um, I think we should, you know, obviously the I think we're in agreement that the drought tolerant landscape concept is the right way to go. It's just that we would like as board to see the development of the design to the 60% level or 50% level or you know whatever seems appropriate. If we have the time, I think we would like to revisit that and understand how it's going to um, fit into this important historic site here in Alameda. I don't know if we need to take a motion on that or I take them, uh, yes. go ahead. So, um,
3: Chair Saxby. so. Uh... In that case, you don't need to make a motion, but I think what would benefit staff to move forward is just uh, if we can uh, maybe have some consensus on some direction. And some of the things that I've heard is um, at, in terms of the landscaping design, you'd prefer less sort of the meandering boundaries of uh, foundation plants and ground cover and maybe something just more formal, uh, the, the, ge- the layout and geometry of the landscaping areas probably should be uh, I've, I've heard the terms axial or, or geometric that kind of reflects the you know kind of angular lines of of how the administrative cores basically squarish areas I'm, i don't know if that, that makes sense. Yeah. they can be rectangles too <laughs>
2: less,
3: instead of the kind of meandering that's less less organic that's what kind
0: of what I yeah i think i think mr Ainsworth got the point exactly <laughs> i get it very we, we do this sort of thing for a lot of plazas, as, as, as I mentioned to Mr. Sanchez, and geometric grids. And this was just a first pass. For a lot of presentations, we do two or three uh, options. So this is no big deal. Uh, this could be easily generated down the road quickly. So, yeah.
2: Well, thank you. I, I think that you know we all liked your, your creative solutions. I think that the, the critical feature for the Naval Air Station is fitting into the context of that historic site, which is extremely okay. formal.
0: I agree, having and, seen the site, I know. Yeah.
2: So I think that, that with, with that comment in mind, I think we will have a successful landscape plan. Uh, Ms. Jones.
7: Also, could I add, um, board member Witt made me think of um, something that I didn't consider, which was the use of the areas around city hall, for instance, you know, public forums and protests and such. And mm-hmm. so, um, I'm just not aware if there are other kind of annual um, festivities or events or things historical. Am I going past, is this not relevant or?
2: Well, isn't there a Christmas tree sometimes? Yeah, not, not anymore actually. Not anymore. They just okay. voted
1: to not do that. Okay.
2: No. But well, it is a public forum area, so.
1: Yeah. And those, the stairs and the concrete area certainly aren't changing. I mean, so that's, that's the right. primary focus of the, of the congreg when the congregations happen.
2: Yeah.
7: I guess I just wanted to um, I just realized there might be um, certain functionalities that the landscape provides that maybe I, I wasn't aware of. Um, and so if there's something that happens, uh, you know, annually or whatever, that's, you know, I guess part of history or part of the function of that land to maybe consider that as well. Okay,
0: that's that's a very good point.
3: Yeah, at City Hall West.
1: Yeah. No, we're talking. Well, both. talking about both, I she's but I think you were talking City about Hall. City Hall East, Commissioner Jones,
7: right? <laughs> um, well, so, well, the Christmas lighting, <laughs> um, I I know happens at City Hall, or yeah, but yeah. it just. Overall, I wasn't aware if there were other factors at City Hall West because that mm. that facility is kind of yeah. off my radar a bit. Um, they do on the mall
1: lawn. There's nothing specific um, at city, at the building, within the footprint of this particular project, but there are a number of events that take place on the mall lawn.
7: Got it. And so I think the, I wouldn't say confusion, but just our hesitancy also is that as you know, this is like the first project, but uh, you know, it could lead to other things as far as addressing the mall lawn and other other um, areas around City Hall West. So I guess just to maybe be, um, maybe foresee possible ways to relate to the other landscapes that are so very important could be helpful to us to like, make a more substantial decision on on west because i feel like it's a little ambiguous because it's such a large space and we just don't know if something that we decide for city hall west will will in fact impact these other um areas that are important in their own right so okay
2: thank you understood i think um with that, I think we can close this item. So thank you very much for the presentations and the thoughtful comments. Um, and uh, so we'll move on to Item 7B, which is a certificate of approval uh, also me. So for the city Todd, of Alameda.
1: Yeah. Todd, if you want to sign off, you're welcome to. I'm going to hang out here for the next item.
0: Okay. <laughs> Thank All you, right. Mr. Ainsworth. That's great. Thank you Thank very much. Um, looking right. forward Thank to working you. on the project.
2: Looking Thank forward you, to seeing Thank your you. design. Bye-bye. Um, so this is concerning the uh, rehabilita- rehabilitation and retrofit of historic street lights throughout Alameda. Um, so do we have a presentation on that item?
1: Yes. Uh, Let me share again. Share. Not that one. Hold on a second.
9: Um, okay, here we go.
1: okay. um, good evening, um chairman and commissioner, uh Aaron Smith, uh Public Works Director. Uh, Also with me um, uh, is Mike Magaro. Mike McGarrow is our streetlight supervisor um, uh, over streetlights and traffic signals. So he's here with me this evening for the conversation that will likely follow um, the presentation. Um, So tonight is for consideration of a certificate of approval for replica designs for two um, specific uh, historic streetlight types. Um, so, in our discussion tonight, I'll just give a brief overview of the Streetlight Historic Nomination, um, the 2012 Certificate of Approval that the Historic Advisory Board granted for the 16 fluted pendant and post-top streetlights. Uh, we'll get into the specifics um, of the proposed designs tonight, which are for the smooth pole and octafluted fluted pendant style. Uh, we'll touch on the um, staff findings and next steps. So in 1987, there was a Streetlight uh, Historic Monument Nomination Report. Um, And in that report, there's 1,297 streetlights that um, were designated historic. Uh, They are broken um, um, into seven categories shown here in the parentheses is the number um, at the time of the report of each of the types. Um, I mentioned there was a 2012 certificate of approval. Um, that is for the two types that are shown in, in italics. They are a 16 fluted pole. Uh, the uh, focus of tonight's conversation um, are the octaflute and smooth pole. Um, there's about 440 um, of these poles uh, throughout the main island. Um, actually, all of the historic lights are on the main island. There are none that um, that are on Bay Farm. Uh, so just a, a brief to touch base on what was approved in 2012. This was the design that came forward um, to the commission and was approved at that time. Amp Alameda Municipal Power was responsible for streetlight maintenance. So they shepherded that approval um, through um, the commission and then followed with um, pole replacement of about 700 um, of the 16 fluted pole. Um, when I use the term pendant, um, talking about the type of fixture shown here up at the top, it's the pendant style. Um, and there's also 16 fluted poles that have, um, this is the post top um, style. So um, that project was um, executed by AMP. Many of the existing fixtures were reused by AMP, but most of the 16 fluted poles um, have been replaced with the replica design that was approved by the commission. So here are the two pole types um, that we're seeking certificate of approval for. Um, The smooth pole pendant is on the left. It is a smooth pole. Um, And the octaflute there, you can see instead of 16, it's it's got eight bends um, in uh, the pole. Uh, The main objective of the designs we have, their exhibits um, um, to the agenda item tonight is to preserve the historic character of the lights. Um, Both of these lights are 20 foot tall. They're tapered poles. Um, They each have that curved uh, four foot arm with uh, the thin flat bracket underneath it. Uh, They also have the same teardrop or pendant style globe. Um, They also have, uh, in the next slide I'll show you a more detailed picture, they have the same um, decorative nut covers. One of the defining differences between um, these two other than the smooth versus octaflute is the finial, and that's the thing that goes on top of the pole. You'll see the smooth pole has a ball on the top and the octaflute has a spearhead finial. So the replica designs that are um, in your packet this evening, I'll just call out a few of the features. that uh, we have intentionally preserved as they are called out in the nomination report, and that is the 20-foot height, mounting height, the pendant or teardrop-style globe fixture, the four-foot arm, the bracket. Um, We do have this spearhead finial will be custom cast, and the nut covers uh, will be custom cast, so they will be exact replicas. Um, so I'll show you here. We had a sample done so that we knew we would feel um, good um, putting forth the designs to the commission this evening. And there shown are the dec- um, the decorative nut covers. So we took an existing one and we sent it off to the manufacturer, and they did a custom cast um, of it to produce it. This the finial on the um, spearhead is still being custom cast, so I don't have a sample to show you, but it, it produces the exact um, same um, design. We have a, a sample pole um, up at Santa Clara and 4th Street. That's the smooth pole sample. Uh, we wanted to be sure that the fixture, which is also custom, um, uh, was to our liking. You'll notice the fixture in this picture, the arm attaches at the side, which is unique in nature. I'll just go back to show you real quick. Um, as compared to the 16 fluted pole, which has the pendant that connects on the top. Um, this is far more typical. Um, the side mount here is not typical um, and is a custom design that we worked with the manufacturer on um, to suit the design. Um, so uh, let me see. Did I touch base? Oh, I'm sorry. I had one other thing. Um, thing I wanted to mention, um, not only about the custom cast, I did just want to speak a little bit about um, the fixtures. So um, the pendant style fixture, they are spec to be LED. Um, the LED is a cost-effective effic- cost and energy-efficient light source. Public Works has a standard for the light tone to be 3,000 Kelvin. Um, that is a uh, Um, On the scale, it is slightly warmer than the cool. It is consistent with the dark skies. Um, That is our standard, and that is what this fixture is um, specified uh, to be. The color that's shown here, um, the green, is known as RAL6005. It is the color that was approved for the 16 fluted poles in 2012. We are recommending that the color be the same for these. Um, for both the smooth and the octaflute poles. Um, lastly, you'll see, um, and it's detailed in the staff report, you might not be able to see it, but we are recommending that the material be aluminum. Um, there's a, a number of reasons that we detail in the staff report. Um, aluminum is 100% recyclable. It is much lighter in weight. It is easier to maneuver, um, and it does not need to be galvanized to be rust resistant. Um, so staff believes that the material change um, does not impact, <coughs> excuse me, um, does not impact the historic significance of the streetlights, and it allows us to choose a material that's aligned with the city's zero waste and sustainability goals. So as you all know, the uh, Municipal Code requires that the um, Historic Advisory Board uh, find the proposed project consistent with the Secretary of Interior Standards, We believe the proposed streetlight replacement, I would say designs, not projects, um, is consistent with the standards um, in that the proposed replicas are nearly identical to the original streetlights and there's no aesthetic differences that affect their presentation. I'll talk about next steps and then we can open it up for discussion. So following the certificate of approval uh, for the replica designs, staff will purchase um, uh, poles and fixtures as funding permits we will prioritize replacement Uh, we do not intend to just blanketly replace these we will replace only those that need to be replaced we have a number of sites that um, are um, missing because they've been previously knocked down Um, or we have a number of sites that are dented or structurally compromised those will be our focus probably for the foreseeable future the streetlight program is not a overly it's not not a well-funded program, so um, we will replace, I anticipate five or so polls a year, um, and those would be prioritized in these categories. Um, I did want to make mention of the remaining three categories um, um, of streetlights that are in the historic nomination report. Um, there's not been a certificate of approval for them, and those are shown here. There's their post top globe, post top trident, and concrete post hop um, in time. Uh, we will return um, to the board to obtain certificate of approval um, when um, those need to be replaced. So with that, we can open it up for discussion.
2: Thank you, Director Smith. Um, Do we have any questions from the board? Mr. Sanchez. Yeah, just
4: one uh, quick question is the so is the side mount, uh, did I understand correctly that the side mount is something that you requested in order to achieve sort of the historic look that was shown in the pictures in the, in the report that was part of our packet?
1: That's correct. There's no off the shelf fixture like that. We, we worked with Lumac, the manufacturer to actually create that design specifically for this purpose.
4: Okay. Yeah, looks great. Thank you.
2: Other questions? Ms. Jones.
7: Um, I was just curious about the color. so it was something that was already and you know, um, forgive me if this is like an old discussion that's not really relevant, but so the color was uh, chosen the some it started with an R something green.
1: L oh, six zero zero five It's just the
7: number, but yeah. <laughs> so that was probably influenced by the original, green color, but then this one was chosen because of uh, a decision made previous. So I was just curious if you knew how, you know, the bridge between the original green color to the green chosen
1: it's A good question. I don't have an answer to that. I would have to dig. I, I, what I really have is the reports that came to the board from AMP. I don't have a lot more information other than that. I don't know, Alan, if you have any history there.
3: My understanding was that this uh 6005 green that was brought up in 2012 was the closest match to the original green colors of the poll, and I think those. The original colors were probably darker, and over time has faded, and so um, that that color is is supposed to match the original. That's my understanding.
7: That's what I figured. It was just um, because of the reasons you stated. I was just curious how they um, just made that guess. You know, because so much changes over time. It was just a personal curiosity. Yeah. Question.
2: Okay. Um, are there questions? Mr. Lau.
6: I just have a question. Uh, I've seen uh, uh, Mr. Joe, um, mentioned about the green color for the for the post. and uh, But however, I see they have a lot for like the school is actually is a uh, governor, meaning the like silver color. In the later on, do you guys will be painted after you like painted like the, the school right now is a governor. Do you think you can match like the green like using the painted the, um, the school? Do you guys really do it that way? Because no, we like, don't
1: paint. They're they're um they're powder coated, so they're not painted. Maybe historically, paint they used to paint, but these are powder coated. So when they're received, the the color is actually baked into the aluminum. So we would never put paint
6: on this pole. Yeah, because I see it's a kind of like like well, the whole tree. I mean, the whole post is like green, but suddenly there are a couple like um you know, governize so in there, just so like, think about it, when we do the um, uh, shi walk we need
2: to basically cut for the nail. So this is what my need. <laughs> so Mr. Lau, you're requesting touch-up paint for the school No, fixtures. not exactly paint, but like, <laughs> I don't know, Is it look
6: better? This is what I feel, but... <laughs> okay. <Or> what,
9: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Well, okay. uh, other questions? I'm not seeing other questions, so uh, let's open it up for... Public comment, do we have any speakers? Apparently, no one is raising their hand at this time. No one's raising their hand, okay. So back to the board for comment. Um, Anyone wanna start, volunteers? Ms. Jones.
7: Um, I think it's cool. I think it's exciting that, uh, you know, we're gonna change the lights to more energy efficient. I think there was a lot of um, detailed work to be done, that was done to um, really um, mimic the uh, historical charm of these streetlights. Um, but I love the um, small touches um, that, you know, didn't completely mimic the whole streetlight as if, you know, they were built way back then, you know, including the color, um, but, you um, And just the way the pendant is um, attached to the main pole. Um, But yeah, it's exciting. And um, this is maybe a tangent, a big tangent, but I just really wish those electrical lines that attach to those poles were not there. Yeah, (laughs) major (laughs) undergrounding project, yep.
2: (laughs) Couldn't agree more.
7: Putting it out there in the world. Okay, that's
2: it. Okay, thank you. Other comments? Mr. Lau.
6: I have one comment. I don't know, is it like, um, because as I've seen, you mentioned about that is that the LED uh, light is actually the same. But some area is very dark. Like sample, think about like the um C- uh, city hall, right? The CVS on other side is more light, like at the night time when you drive, or you you will always see on the left on the other side the CVS side. But the but the city hall side we do have a street light. However, it's not that well. It's very dark. Meaning it's like, do you think you will be not? Co- I know certain area because a lot for tree make the LED more light, and another one maybe do you consider like changing the not consistent? The, the LED light can be more, more light and some is more dark? Yeah,
1: uh, thank you. Um, I, a couple things, a couple thoughts on that. Um, the high pressure sodium lights that have been well past their useful life and we're putting out little to no, no light as compared to what was originally designed. Um, so when we... Do the retrofit to LED, yes, there will be more lumens because it'll be closer to the intended design. What I will say is that we aren't intending to adjust the spacing of the poles. That would be a, you know, would be involved in more so of a street design. So there's only so much you can do with a bulb if your poles are spaced too far apart. But in short, when we do when we replace the old high-pressure sodiums with LED, you will have more lumen output. Did that answer your question?
2: Uh, are, there, are there comments um, I, had, I had a question and a comment. Um, is it, you know, these, these light standards are um, historical monuments for the city. And per the Secretary of Interior Standards, uh, it's better to repair an historical item than it is to replace it. It's always preferred to repair rather than replace. So my question to you is can, I mean, we're talking about the replacement of some 450 or 440 uh, light standards, but in reality, they probably not all need, they don't all need to be replaced very likely. It's just, we want to convert them to LED. Is that, that's my understanding anyway. And so um, is it possible to convert the historic post and arm for these fixtures to an LED by replacing the head and yet preserving the original flight standard?
1: So if I could just clarify a little bit. So the lights already were, um, they already are LED. So we in the last two years had replaced just the lamps. We Mm -hmm. went through a major LED project. It was approved by council. So all of these lights that we're talking about, the 400, they are already LED. We just changed the lamp within the existing housing. So the motivating factor for this tonight has really nothing to do with LED, but the fixture that is purchased will be led but the existing lamp is already led um, so many of the lights are beyond repair um, the rust and the corrosion to particularly the base um, of the poles many of them prevent present structural um, hazards now all of them no, and we wouldn't be we would only be replacing those that require replacement one of the other things that we're we're coming across that are also a hazard is the, the teardrop. You've got the the globe underneath the the metal that fastens the, the globe underneath to the fixture is fatiguing and they are falling. <laughs> and that is also um, a hazard. So um, you know, our can Most of these are well past their useful life and a replica design is needed. We don't intend to just blanketly replace the 400. They will only be replaced as they need to be replaced um, and they'll be prioritized by either they're missing. So repair is not an option or they are structurally compromised.
2: Okay, Um, yeah, my point basically is that the integrity of this historic monument is at risk. If we replace them all, there is no integrity, zero. Um, we just have a, um, a city full of replica light fixtures. Um, and I don't think that's the intent of our historic monument program. And so I would ask that in the replacement of these fixtures that, you know, it's, it's sort of a last resort measure um, in order to keep the integrity of our monuments. Understood. Other comments? Um, so the, the uh, resolution before us is to approve, uh, a, approval to replace approximately 205 smooth pole pendants and 236 octofluted pendant streetlights with an approved le- replica design subject to the following conditions. Um, the scope of work shall be in substantial compliance with the details and specifications contained in the staff report and exhibit two of December 2nd, 2021 and on file in the office of the Alameda, City of Alameda Planning Department. So, um, you know, I think that um, I understand the need to to replace irreparably damaged streetlights and I I can support that. And I would approve, I would uh, make a motion to approve this um, resolution with a condition that there is a documentation of the damage uh, to these light poles street lights um, you know basically an assessment of damage beyond repair uh, before we go replacing them now if there's a missing fixture um, fine i think putting in a replica is is great Um, but uh, the ones that we have that are original fixtures we need to make every attempt to preserve them that we can Um, so my motion would be to approve this uh resolution with with that comment in mind. Uh, Do I have a second? We have two seconds. So who wants to do it?
7: I'll second the motion.
2: Who are you pointing to Norman? (laughs) (laughs) So Miss Jones seconds it. uh, All in favor? Aye. Aye. Did I see five yeses? Yes. Yes. Okay, with that, the motion is unanimous, approved.
3: Passes unanimously.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Director Smith, for your presentations. And- thank uh, you. you. Thank you. And uh, so we move on to item 7C, which is a public workshop to review and comment on the draft housing element update uh, to accommodate the regional housing needs allocation uh for the period 2023 to 2031 in compliance with state law um thank you Chair Kai, so you yes um,
3: i will have a brief presentation and uh, uh this presentation you might have seen um at the planning board and most recently tuesday night at city council but uh i if i could have a moment to just share my screen Okay. Are you able to see the slides? Yes. Great. Mm-hmm. So, uh, good evening, Chair Saxby, members of the board. Um, I'm Alan Ty, Planning, Building, and Transport- from the Planning, Building, Transportation Department. Um, tonight is a workshop, so this is kind of an information session. Uh, I will give you a little bit of background of the General Plan Housing Element and why we're doing it. And then, really, it's opening it up for questions, comments, and um, if you have any direction for staff, um, you, this would also be a good time to um, provide it to staff as well as the planning board. The planning board is sort of the uh, the hearing body that's that's uh, working with staff on preparing the housing element update, which then would be they would make a recommendation to the city council. So, um, and and there will be a slide where I would talk a little bit about the process, but. Um, and you are not taking any uh, final actions tonight. My page down button doesn't work. Let's see what's going on. (laughs) Okay, there we go. So um, what's different about my slides tonight is I, just given a lot of the public comments that I've heard in these workshops, I feel like it was important um, to kind of explain what is the general plan, what is the housing element, I, I feel like some of the public commenters uh, might not have the benefit of that background. So just you know, you and and um, you may already know just from the previous workshops we've done with the general plan. General plan really is a broad, long-range policy document um, that's required under state law. Um, it is forward-looking and it um, expects um, to address the city's growth and sort of evolution over a longer period of time. That period of time is typically 20 years, an outlook of 20 years, anticipating how the city will grow and change and setting policies for the city's uh, decision makers on um, how to implement uh, actions that um, address those needs over time. Well, how is the general plan different from zoning? I also hear a lot of, uh, confused, sort of conf- sense confusion between the, diff- you know, an understanding of what's the general plan and zoning. So while the general plan sets general policy and guiding direction uh, about the future, zoning is about today. It's about what happens today if somebody were come into city hall and ask for a permit to do something, such as um, I want to build a building on this property. Uh, what are the rules? And the zoning sets the rules for uh how that what how that building takes place so um, just on the slide it implements the general plan policies through detailed development regulations such as specifying types of land uses and building requirements um, you know where things can build development standards which is a really fancy phrase for things like height limits uh, lot size how much of the property you can cover with building uh, how far the do does the building have to be from the property line setbacks Um, parking and things of that nature that's zoning very different from general plan which is setting policy direction Uh, the general plan as required under state law there's there's seven required elements housing the housing element or the chapter of the general plan is is a required mandate under general plan Um, and it's to uh, accommodate projected population growth um, so it kind of starts off with a statewide population growth, then each region and within each region, every city sort of have its share of, of um, housing needs. Um, and, and the actual housing element document I know over the last workshops, everybody is has been focusing on the arena number and I'll explain what that is in just a second but there's a lot more to the housing element than just the RENA number. It's really a uh, uh, it's a pol- also a policy document because it's a chapter of the general plan. but it's accompanied by also a, a background document that that does analysis of the uh, current city's current housing stock um, and also uh, includes demographic analysis for housing needs. So the the latest 2020 census, that demographic information is sort of you know really perfect timing for us to uh, study, okay over the na- eight uh, the next eight years. What, how is the population going to grow? What's the sort of household makeup of the city? You know, are families growing in size? Are they shrinking? What's sort of the uh, age of the demographics? Are there an older population that, mean, that would mean that we would need to plan for uh, more senior housing, for example? Um, also looking at the uh, demographics by income um, and then identifying sort of housing needs de- de- depending on wh- where you are. Um, in the population, so also establishes the roadmap roadmap to address uh, the housing needs over the next eight years. I mentioned eight next eight years, so um, the 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 housing elements are updated um, under housing element law uh, by cycles. So as Alameda is looking at uh, its housing element update, so are the other. 100 cities in the nine-county Bay Area. They, you know, there might be housing element workshops happening in other cities in Bay Area at the same time as we're talking tonight. So, and the planning period that we're looking at is the next eight years. So, basically, 2023 to a period of 2031, because our current housing element actually covers 2014 to 2022. So, we're really looking at that um, next period. Um, And as I mentioned, it sets policy goals and it. it, explains how the city will uh, set up programs, it's zoning to facilitate housing to meet the the demand um, for housing. And uh, one more important aspect is the housing element has to be submitted to the State Department of Housing Community Development for review and certification. And state law uh, uh, provides penalties Um, for cities that do not comply with the housing element requirement, so this is not a staff effort we didn't just you know wake up one day and decide hey this is a good thing to do but it is it is uh, our job is really to um, ensure that the city uh, uh, meets state law so let's talk a little bit about rena i mean uh, i i'm not sure if we've really drilled down on what the rena is but really there's been housing element law since uh, the the late 60s and the mandate from the helmet Housing element law is really that uh, the, it's, it's based on population projections and needs. Again, from the state level down to regional level, um, ABAG, the Association of Bay Area Governments, is the is uh, the Bay Area's Council of Governments. So they are involved in taking the state projections, refining it for the Bay Area region based on economic growth and job growth spurring demand for housing. Um, and they identify a total regional need for housing over the, the eight year period I've described. And I think, you know, the ballpark number there's, there's a need for f- about 400,000 new housing units. Alameda's fair share of that regional growth has been identified as 5,353 units. And this is housing that is uh, needed at all income levels. So just kind of one last slide about this, but I think it's important context. Um, the state law, uh, housing element law, uh, you could summarize the arena goals as kind of these five things. Really, it's to increase housing supply and a mix of housing types to address different needs and demographic needs uh really promote infill development equity environmental benefits and and more recently um, greenhouse gas reduction and climate change targets uh it also talks about you know the in meeting arena you're just cities aren't just to target a single number you know if there was a site big enough we can't just put all of the housing in one giant building on one giant site and say we're done. no. It, 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 the, the housing opportunity sites need to provide opportunities that also fix things like housing balance, um, affordable housing for low wage workers. Um, and number four, number five, very important. you know balance disproportionate household income distributions. you know um, There's been discussions in other workshops, certain areas of Alameda historically associated with higher uh, higher income and more wealth other incomes uh, other areas of city perhaps you know uh, more more dif- disadvantaged um, populations and um, peoples of color and then number five uh, an emphasis on affirmatively furthering fair housing what that means is our housing plan or housing element needs to ensure that there is an equitable distribution of housing opportunity throughout the city and again not just uh, not just um, single site. So with that background, I just want to talk about what we've done so far. Uh, this housing element update uh, has been, uh, we've, we've been talking about it um, as part of the general plan update over the past year, pretty much. And there's been a lot of dabbling about how future growth and housing sites. Um, really the next steps is, uh, what we're doing now is we're holding workshops with the city council, various boards and commissions. Um, The due date for the housing element certification is really the end of calendar 2020. So if we take that, that date, that end goal and backtrack it over time, we anticipate there's at least from what we're seeing in other regions of the state, So for example, Southern California, I believe just completed their housing element cycle. The the state review timing is at least 60 days each round. So basically you're anticipating a four month period. So if you backtrack it, basically by the summer, by the middle of next year, Alameda should really have its draft housing element um, uh, completed and ready to submit to the state. And what we, we would like to do is uh, have that document ready so that uh, the state can say, hey, upon certification or upon approval by the city council, uh, City of Alameda is certified. And that's really our, the goal that we're trying to achieve. Let's talk about the actual arena numbers. And you've seen this um, slide probably a couple of times now. Um, this is the staff proposal for how we could meet the rena goal of 5353 units Um, and this is all based on the issuance of building permits during that eight-year period 2023 to 2031 so we have already approved projects uh, that make up Just one second, let me move this window out of the way on my screen. Okay, so approved projects make up about 1,400 units. Um, So that is a big share of uh, the arena number. Uh, There are two also areas. um, It's categorized as projects in need of city land. So this is where the city council needs to feel comfortable making the decision to say, yes, we're going to approve these projects um, at Alameda Point. Uh, That's about 1,300 units. And NCNL terminals, uh, about 589 units. And after that, we still have about 2,000 units remaining. And so where are the opportunities for that? Well, based on staff's initial assessment, we think the shopping centers, South Shore, Marina Village, Harbor Bay Shopping Center, uh, and even Bridgeside Shopping Center um, can conceivably accommodate um, another thousand units. Uh, we're also looking at Park Street and Webster Streets for capacity. But uh, the one thing I want to point out about Park Street and Webster Street, because a lot of the there's there's I think there's general consensus from the community that that's where we should look at intensification. Um, but I think some of the struggles, particularly on Park Street, you know the the uh, within the Park Street historic core one it's a his- national register historic district um, it's typified by smaller lots um, so it's going to require staff to do some ground truthing to really analyze where the real realistic capacity lies i mean i don't anticipate tuckers to add a couple stories above to then add some more units i mean that that that's just not realistic um, the other point about the housing element that i need to mention is hcd is going to double check our work to ensure that the sites that we point out are realistically viable. Meaning, yes, if you're gonna say there's 300 units going on that site, does it actually fit 300 units? What are the sort of the, uh, uh, is it served by uh, existing infrastructure? I mean, is there a willing developer that's gonna make it happen? We can't just say, oh, okay, we're gonna expect a thousand units on the site and then call it a day. No, because, um, Every year during that eight-year planning period, the city is uh, required to submit an annual housing element report, and the progress reports need to show that we are making progress. Otherwise, uh, the HCD, the state, can also say that you know you've set up a plan that's really not realistic and not um, viable. Um, So what remains is what we think are going to be infill developments in the residential districts. Um, And so that can come in new units and ADUs. Uh, Mr. Buckley earlier mentioned about SB9. I mean, that is a new state law that's coming into effect January of this year that would, uh, as Mr. Buckley explained, um, in the R1 one-family zoning district, Uh, allow by right um, uh, duplexes and if they were going to take the lot and split the lot they can have um, two units on each lot and that would all be subject to ministerial review which means um, city staff will get to review it we would make a decision on whether those units meet uh, regulations already written in our code and then there would be no public notification, and there would be some approvals. Um, so, but we're estimating about maybe 800 units um, to occur within the residential. This we we actually don't know how SB9 will work out, but you know, with ADUs, we're looking at I think roughly 43 a year. Um, the Turner Center, which does a lot of housing analysis, had published a report that says. Um, it's reasonable to expect maybe um, a uh, a certain increase in um, the number of uh, ADUs. Um, I'm, I think it's forty percent. Is it forty percent, Henry? Yes, thank mm-hmm. you. So that's sort of how we're arriving at these numbers. Um, about SB nine, I mean, we could talk about it uh, during Q and A a little bit more, but um, where the rubber meets the road staff believes that sb 9 is really an extension of the adu law um, and we're in some ways sort of looking at it that way Um, because if you look at the regulations that we have in our adu ordinance and what the state requires they're very similar so uh, i think um, but except that sb9 does the main difference is it does create that lot split and what I would describe as a housing ownership opportunity, but I can answer more questions about that. But generally, this is sort of the 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 plan we've laid out to um, potentially achieve the arena number of five thousand three hundred fifty three units. And I think with that, um, I've said enough, and I'm available for questions. Thank you.
2: Uh, so we're ready for questions. Uh, Ms. Witt, did you want to start?
5: I did. Um, so I had a, a question about how um, how the housing allocation numbers were determined. Um, I know I, I saw the numbers and I, w- I was just trying to understand where they came from. If they were yeah. based on p- current population or, or projections or...
3: Yeah, it's, it? uh, there's what's called... so this might be on the a bags website, they may talk mm-hmm. about it's called the arena methodology. So state law does set out certain methodology for demographers to kind of do projections. And um, it's it's, I'm sure dense place census data play a role, I'm sure economic growth and the uh, Dep- State Department of Finance data play a role. But these, uh there's models, I would assume that goes into a projection for how uh, fast California is growing, what the housing need is, how how different variables, including the uh, economy, might be driving factors for economic growth, in addition to just sort of natural population growth, you know, just mm-hmm. families growing and um, people growing up, having kids, etc. cetera. Um, and so that, I think that all comes into play. And then uh, ABAC does Their model for the Bay Area, taking input from the state and and also um, information from local governments. Uh, And through the modeling process, they come up with a RENA number. Um, And that process is a public process. Um, The number was, I think, introduced to us earlier in the year. There was an opportunity, even for the city, to Uh, file an appeal, which the city council directed us to. Um, I was at the appeal hearing and I heard the conversation and um, I don't believe any of the appeals were granted. Um, And so, but it was a public, it was a very long multi-year process to arrive at that number. And for us, we don't believe that number is going to change.
5: Okay, great. Thank you for the background.
2: Do we have other questions? Mr. Lau.
6: Hey Alan, I have a question for um you did mention about Alameda need to be in the eight year you need a five thousand three hundred some unit, right? So is it particular you did mention it uh, did uh, require like certain unit is a one one bathroom and uh, one one room, another certain number is like two two room or something like that.
3: Yeah, so um the housing element may not necessarily drill down to that level of detail, but you know, our analysis could show that, hey, if there are growing families in Alameda, we probably want housing that might be a little bit larger, or uh, chances are, I think what many cities are finding just as a reflection of um, kind of the housing crisis over the years is there's a lot more uh, multi-generation um, within the same household. So, uh, I mean, those are tidbits that, that could go into um, our housing element. Um, analysis, but that may not necessarily translate to zoning requirements that says, hey, new development must have X number of units, two bedrooms, three bedrooms. I don't, that's not very typical. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Instead, you know, it, it, I mean, from what we already know, it kind of, it would point to the need for affordable housing. I mean, I think that's just, that's, everybody recognizes that that is a fact.
6: My question, because why I asked that question is, yes, I, I do see Alameda is, uh, so some people, like um, some, um, some senior actually, they live in the very big house, only the one people, sometimes only two people, because their kid is already growing up. And a lot of um, family, meaning they want uh, to, um, I mean, the, their kid, they want to live in Alameda, um, it's difficult to find a little bigger house. So my my just what my thinking is like, because in the in the city, in the other city, they actually like Oakland, they do have a lot of call um uh SRO, like single room, mm-hmm. yeah, that kind of that kind of that. I mean, meaning it's some senior, they may, they may not want to move out to Alameda. They still want to stay in Alameda, they don't want to move it somewhere. But however, they cannot afford that. Uh, they only can afford they currently live in that location. So meaning is like, you have something SRO, meaning is that you can certify for a requirement from the state. However, I mean, to some senior they can save in some money, they move it to if they only one people, they move it to SRO, and then they will try to either sell it or win it to other people. So this is what might mean, meaning is that maybe maybe you can certify for for the same requirement. So yeah.
3: Yeah, I think the point you're touching on is an important one, and, and again, it's uh, reiterating the fact that we need we need to plan for housing for all all walks of life, basically all different needs. And and um, you know we're actually current we're currently working on uh, amending the zoning code, so we're, we're kind of parallel processes. We're anticipating some needs. We're anticipating what we will have to put in the housing element, and then at the same time, in response to uh, not just SB9, but some of the, you know, housing laws that's been passed, state laws that's been passed in recent years. And we are uh, updating definitions. The definitions include, you know, uh, efficiency units, smaller units, right? Um, things like SROs, all of that is is really part of the package. So um, yes, there, there's, there's work being done right now to ensure that we're, we're covering all of those aspects.
6: The SRO is a require like specific, different zoning. Uh, you did mention about zoning. They have a different, like upgrading, uh, downgrading, commercial, that kind of stuff. Is it like is it different zoning? Um, it's it's
3: um, I I I think in our residential districts, we're uh trying to maximize opportunities for various types of housing. I think just to kind of to put it generally and and, um i'm not sure that calling out specifically sro i mean we have this thing called shared living i mean that's allowed uh, that henry actually wrote uh the the definition for and that that would include things like sros and they would be they are uh permitted uses in some areas so so i guess what i'm saying is it is a thing in alameda and we already have those that on the books okay and again our goal is to try to um encourage a variety of types of housing and and also i think it's important to for the board to also understand that um in terms of housing we because housing cost is so high in in the bay area the notion of affordability by design is important so basically a smaller house hopefully is proportionally less uh, costly and more affordable than than a mcmansion if you
10: will
6: yeah because it's, I feel it's a uh, lot for only one one person they actually cannot find the, you cannot afford in the living in the Alameda. So anyway, yeah. Uh,
2: Mr. Sanchez. Uh,
4: thank you. Um, <clears throat> so Alan, if I, I'm trying to understand under SB9, it, if I understand correctly, it's not necessarily that the R1 zoning disappears more so that it's either uh, it, it gets re, uh, maybe what's allowed under the R1 zone changes. Is that correct? So yeah. it, in essence, it's not that there's no longer an R1 zone, but that, that R1 zone now by right allows duplexes, let's say, is correct. that correct? Am I saying that right?
3: Yes, that's correct. And, and, um, if I might just jump in a little bit more so, so absolutely correct. It state law says in any zoning that's for single family homes in, in the state of California. So in Alameda, that would be our R1, one family residence district. Other cities might call it different things, but in effect, if you have a zoning that currently limits uh, developed to one one dwelling unit, basically one single family home per lot, in those areas under state law, you now, that single family homeowner can come to the city and apply to get a second unit on that lot by right. In addition, you can also take your lot and apply for a lot split. And after splitting that lot, you also get to put two units on that new lot. So essentially, it's, it's as as the uh, Mr. Buckley had described earlier. You're taking a single family zone and then basically turning it into um, allowing four units on the original lot.
4: Okay. And is the lot split dependent on on the ratio, that's so. Is that basically a function of you can't create a lot that allows more square footage per uh, the a floor area ratio that's that's not allowed by? Is is it SB nine that dictates it or is yeah? It so SB
3: nine SB nine says the minimum uh, lot size is twelve hundred square feet, I believe. In addition, that you know your your new lot needs to be. Um, like forty percent of the of the original lot. Here. So so there's some rules in place that ensures that you know you're not you're not um, creating a disproportionately sized lot. So yeah. there are rules like that in place. But if you want to think about it from a density perspective, twelve hundred square feet. I mean, tight, divide yeah. that an acre. That's that's seventy. <laughs> 70 plus units per acre so that's and that is state law and that is our r1 r1 district which is supposedly the lowest density or the lower density in alameda it's the lowest density zone but in some other cities it might be the lower density areas it's now the set the state has come in and set the standard that your low density zoning is now 70 plus units an
4: acre and so i'm sorry one last question sorry, i'm with... getting technical <laughs> no not in at all here but yeah um, so one last question related is so with, with regards to our board and how this impacts us as a board so if there's a single family residence it's you know pre-1942 and somebody is proposing to either add a second unit or do a lot split that would then um or if they're trying to get four units let's say they're they're going to come in they're going to demolish a house that's on there they're going to do a lot split and try to do four units so is that something still that would come under our purview with regards to a certificate of approval
3: uh yes absolutely so uh let me i think this is actually a very important question i had thought about putting in a a slide and i i I just didn't get to it but thank you for bringing that up very important because that's where the rubber meets the road, right? With these state regulations. Uh, for folks out there who are concerned about how SB9 impacts neighborhood character, it all comes down to sort of design, right? And sort of the process. So let's just say you are a single family homeowner today. You want to build an addition upstairs and and that would be your second unit under SB nine. Okay, it depends on the design of the building, right? It would depend on how you're uh, executing that addition. But let's just say you do have to demolish the entire roof, and you may have to just des- de- demolish the back wall and maybe some of the side walls and or some portion of the building um and as you know within the preservation ordinance we currently define de- demolition as 30 percent of the value of the building so if the building official says yes that addition triggers that threshold we would say yes this is SB 9 but because it triggers this other ordinance this other this certificate approval decision has to take place first. And, and that process is actually the same with our ADU ordinance today. If somebody were to come in with an ADU, but they're going to demolish more than 30%, you know, the value of the the building, demolish the building, we would have to have them come before the HAP. Now, in reality, you know when we've had these conversations, and I mentioned it over and over. I think our preservation ordinance, even though it's not perfect, it's been a deterrent for a lot of the very um, invasive type remodeling um, that we've seen before we've had this definition in place. So, um, I think chances are people will try to work around it um, and avoid the extra step. But if it does trigger the certificate approval, and um, I think to answer Mr. Buckley's question. Uh, yes, we will. Uh, the certificate approval process um, will uh, will need to take precedence first and um, as we are drafting the uh, update to the R1 zoning um, just today we we were talking about that exact same issue and we are writing in language so um, hopefully you would see that in the draft in the upcoming planning board packet.
2: Thank you, Mr. Sanchez. Um, a, a follow-up question. I think he was hitting on several of my points. Um, does the SB9 establish a minimum lot coverage? Or, you know, if you're splitting lots and you have a 1,200 square foot minimum lot size, is there anything that dictates what coverage of that lot is is maximum?
3: Yeah. Um, and Henry, feel free to jump in and help me out here if I don't remember all the details, but I Or would local
2: ordinances be what we use?
3: I believe, uh, if I remember correctly, SB 9 does defer to local uh, jurisdictions to set lot coverage standards, but similar to the ADU ordinance, state law guarantees a minimum uh, size for an SB 9 unit. And I think that's uh, 800 square feet. So if, so if, so let's just say Alameda, our Alameda, Alameda's R1 maximum lot coverage is currently 40%, 48 if you have an attached garage. If you were to turn, if you were to convert your property into a duplex, and that duplex, or or, or that lot coverage requirement would preclude you from having an 800 square foot unit, state law would say, well then that, then you get the 800 square foot unit. Regardless, what you know, even though you are exceeding the local coverage requirement, so there is that sort of preemption built into the state law.
2: So the locally, we can't dictate that, um, say, the lot coverage is reduced and a second story is added, for instance, to to get the eight hundred square feet minimum. Correct.
3: Correct. We can't. We cannot prevent somebody from getting at least an eight hundred square foot unit. That sounds like a pretty process. severe
2: impact um
3: potential but not, impact right but but that's not um that's not anything new because uh several years ago with the passage of adu law adu law has said the same thing that you cities cannot set up rules that would preclude somebody from having an 800 square foot adu um so the precedent's already there and those those
8: units need to meet a four foot side and rear or setbacks so.
2: okay
3: Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if I may but just it's com- add It's one more- compounded
2: by the fact that these lots can be split and sort of multiplying the impact.
3: Yes. Now, if I, I might just add an important fact. I think people need to realize that today under ADU law in the R1 zone and frankly in any R residential zone in Alameda, you can add an ADU and you can take a room within your house and turn that into a junior ADU. So really, on the books today already, even before SB9, you go from one to three units in the same house, potentially in Alameda. That's already the law of the land. So really SB9 and ADU law is really one extra unit. So I think it's important for people to recognize that and kind of put that in perspective. The only other difference from uh, SB9 is really the lot split. You're now able to sell off sell off a, a, a split and sell off that piece of property. Um, Although there are additional stipulations, there's a deed restriction requirement. You also have to uh, sign a declaration that you intend to uh, occupy the the new unit for at least three years, although there's no real enforcement mechanism there. But um, realistically in Alameda, given that our ADU program is a setup where people are actually able to get the units i think for the for owners to really pursue an sb9 path it would really be if um you know there's a there's a height limit currently on adus which is 16 feet so if they want a taller adu for some reason they might pursue the sb2 route i mean sb9 route or if they really want to split off the 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 units on a separate parcel uh, then they might also go the sb9 route but essentially we're we don't anticipate a a big influx of applications for sb9 um, one other important aspect i do want to say is state law does still give the city of alameda and in all cities in california the ability to apply design standards and i think it's the design standards that are going that are going to protect and address concerns about the impact of these units in our existing neighborhoods Um, we are currently we have drafted a set of standards which is really compiling all of the existing requirements that we have in our guide to residential design our design manual as well as a lot of direction from the HAB that you've given staff over the years for second story additions and uh, um, um, and modifications to Existing or historic homes, we're compiling that into a document. I mean, basically, we're we're taking all of our best practices and putting it in one document, calling it objective standards, so that by January, and so we're taking that to the planning board, uh, December thirteenth, um, recommending adoption, so that by New Year's Day, if there was an SB nine application, we would already have those standards in place that we could hand to a SB nine applicant. So, and I th- again, that's where rubber meets the road. I think that's where, uh, you know, the devil's in the details, right? Those are the details that are gonna address the neighborhood concern issues about character.
8: And I'd also add that once you split a lot under SB9, then you can't split it again.
2: So, um, okay. so yeah, that's Good kind point. Of- yes, and that's There must, be, must be some kind of requirement for an easement so that the, the split lot has access to a public way. Uh, yes, that's yes.
3: Those would be um yeah. If if it was like a flag lot, for example, then they will be required to provide easements.
2: Okay, so um, Mister Lau, do you want to jump in here with a question?
6: I just have a quick question. So you did mention about an uh, after you speed from um, to two different APN I and mean, parcel, and then like, can we do like they can add another ADU, for example, after you speed? And then like, you can add the ADU, you saw it, people may be thinking about, you can become <laughs> another two ADU, one junior, one ADU in one law, another side, up to speed, and then like another ADU, another, can they do it?
3: Um, so state law doesn't address that issue, but what I'll tell you is uh, in the draft that staff is putting together, we're saying four max. Okay. ADUs efficiency units junior ADUs inclusive. You go from one unit to four. You could choose however path you get to four, whether it's ADUs or SB nine units, but you get four. With a lot
6: split, without a lot split, you get two. you got two APN, right? Meaning it's up to speed. Meaning that people can sell the other one. Uh yes, I think after
3: three years, right, Henry? I mean, I think, uh, I think it's it's a there's a three there's a requirement that you have to declare that you're going to occupy uh, the new units in three years but there's no again no enforcement mechanism sure they're just declaring an intention but but so yes eventually I mean the way staff seeing is that's that's home ownership opportunity um, in a way that's that's good for the city.
2: So um, this is a public workshop and I would like to bring public comment in but I also wanted to give uh, Miss Witt and Ms. Jones a chance to ask questions before I did that. I'm okay. No questions? Okay. So with that, um, do we have any public speakers? Has anybody held uh, on? We have one raising their hand right now, Betsy Matheson. Ms. Matheson.
8: Hello again, thank you. Hi. On November 16th, I wrote a letter on the draft housing element to the city council and CC each of you and unfortunately neglected to resend it so it would be included in the public comment. Um, and I know you're all real busy so you may have seen city council and not read it at the time i'm going to summarize the parts that are pertinent to historic buildings, but starting with. Um, my belief that all of our neighborhoods need to accommodate more neighbors, including the ones built in compliance with article 26, which is measure a, because in those neighborhoods, by definition, there are no small dwelling units. Planning board member Alan Teague stated, quote, reuse of existing buildings is how we're going to move forward, unquote, I agree we'll avoid displacing low-income residents and increasing our car- increasing our carbon footprint and converting Alameda to any town USA. Alameda's pre-article 26 neighborhoods include many unique buildings that have legally non-conforming high densities now, as illustrated in the spotlights in the draft housing element. However, without carefully crafted specifications, upzoning, increasing density, will provide an incentive for demolition. It is frightening to read that a priority of the annual review of the design review ordinance, which Alan Pye just mentioned, is to confirm that the standards, quote, do not constrain the development of housing, unquote. Developers will use that to argue that Alameda's existing buildings themselves constrain the development of housing this logic will displace low income residents and may result in the loss of the very buildings shown in the spotlights. The housing element gives what amount to density bonuses for um, rehabilitation and adaptation of existing buildings if there's no increase in floor area. Um, but I think no increase in floor area should be changed to say no change to the building envelope. That would allow new additional finished floor area in basements and attics to accommodate more dwelling units in our existing buildings. I look forward to continuing to follow the balancing act that is needed to provide more housing and ensure equity inclusion and anti-displacement in our unique city. Thank you.
2: Thank you for your comments. Uh, Other speakers? No one else is raising their hand. Christopher Buckley just raised his hand. I figured that Chris would come up with some comments. Mr. Buckley. Can you hear me? Yes, we can.
10: Thank you. Uh, Christopher Buckley with the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society. We sent you uh, the letter we wrote to the city council dated um, November 15th, and hopefully you had a chance to read it. I was going to go over some of the points in that letter. Our main concern is the proposed massive upzoning of all residential areas in Alameda to generate 520 units over eight years to meet the arena, which was alluded to in the staff presentation. We think that's really overkill. Uh, it doubles the residential density in R two through R four from the current one unit for two thousand square feet to one unit to one thousand square feet, and increases it two and a half times in R five and R six. Uh, that's an addition to the quadrupling in R one, and so what that means is in R two through R four, you can get five units on a five thousand square foot lot plus ADUs, seven units on a five on a thirty 30- on a on a five thousand square foot lot in. R5 and R6 plus ADUs and uh, the four units in uh, R1, though those do not involve ADUs. And so uh, if you get five units on a lot, then that triggers the state density bonus law, which means you can get in more units if if any of them are affordable, but also exceptions to height limits, setbacks, and lot coverage and all these other things that we're concerned about. So it really opens the floodgates to all sorts of additional uh, uh, density kick-ins. It also triples the density in the historic parts of Webster Street, Park Street, and the stations. So so we're concerned that this upzoning is really going too far, would result in more demolitions incentives to get rid of an existing building to build bigger buildings. So, And also inflate land values and displace affordable housing. So before proceeding with this massive upzoning uh, to get 520 units, we're recommending look to other strategies. First, look more at the underutilized sites such as the estuary shopping centers. We think the staff is underestimating 1,000 units there. There's 800 for South Shore already, they've committed to it. You can get a lot more than 200 at these other shopping centers. Um, Second, Uh, The non-historic parts of Park and Webster Street, we think they can do more than 300. Uh, ADUs of 43 per year is an understatement. Staff was previously saying 60 per year. We've already done 64 through November 1st this year. That means that we're on track for 77 per year. Uh, So that's 614 units over eight years. Uh, That's an understatement. SB9, probably a couple of dozen anyway. I wonder where that 40% came from though. Um, extra units within building envelopes, which uh, which uh, board member Lau mentioned and Betsy Matheson just mentioned, that's a really promising strategy. I'm running out of time, so we're asking the HAB to urge the city council planning board staff to not upzone the residential areas and historic commercial areas and pursue instead these strategies which I just listed. Thank you,
2: thank you, Mr. Buckley. Uh, any other speakers? Not at this time, okay. Um So our task tonight is to provide some direction to city staff with regard to uh, the housing element, uh, what this board would like to see uh, included. And uh, so we need to sort of focus on comments um, from here on out. Uh, Would anybody like to start that discussion? Mr. Sanchez, thank you well i'll start
4: with a with a question for staff um so uh alan had mentioned in his presentation regarding um sort of the the trend uh in increase i think uh henry mentioned as well that there was a percentage increase projected for adus and i wondered whether that um whether it's it's assumed that the increase in demand for adus is going to be constant or is the average that the city is using in its projections based on an average over time meaning that right now there may be a push to have a high number of adu applications that may taper off be you know over the 10-year period or whatever that's covered by the general plan so that was those a question i guess
3: I think it might still be a little bit too early to establish a trend. But um, the number that we put out there, the 43, was based on an average over the last what four years since the 2017 update of the ADU ordinance. Uh, we have been seeing a year-over-year year increase in applications as well and and uh, particularly this year in 2021 we have seen the most applications come in i think on file we have probably like 90 applications but what i'm also finding and hearing anecdotally talking to homeowners is um, we have issued some building permits where the owners have not continued to pull through to build the unit and a lot of times it's citing the uh I, i think the pandemic is a is a Unfortunately, a factor, but also just uh, high construction costs as well as well as uh, the inability to um, find contractors to do the work, or there's either long wait time. So um, those are those are um, challenges that we have heard from um, at, at the at the public counter, basically. Um, and I don't know if the trend will continue. But I think Based on the Turner Center report, the projection is that there will be continually, uh, for basically, with SB nine, um, factoring SB nine, there there would be a forty percent increase um, over those years. Did I did I get that right, Henry?
8: Yeah, that's right. It,
3: yeah,
8: they they basically did a projection of you know the number of units increase from SB9 over like what's already been produced off of ADUs and JADUs, junior mm-hmm. ADUs, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: And and really, I've, I've always thought that, you know, the SB9 units are essentially those that would cannibalize units that would otherwise come in as ADU units. They're probably gonna be the same. Um, again, given the similarity of the development standards, you know, if I were to build an ADU in the backyard already, but that SB9 might give me an opportunity to not be restricted to a 16 foot height limit, and it would allow me to parse out the land, I'd probably choose the SB9 application process instead of an ADU. So it's basically, for me, I, I, I see a lot of those over, the overlapping numbers
4: yeah uh, thank you for for the clarification i think for me the you know one of the struggles that i have with uh sort of an over-reliance on the adu as the as the solution uh to meeting to meeting the city's uh rena numbers is the fact that i know a lot of the adus that that um that people are building are not being used as rental units, they're not being used to house people. Uh, you know, it's sort of an expansion to a single family home where previously it wasn't allowed. And so it's a maybe a bit of a workaround uh, to increase the size of a home, right? And so I think that, you know, if we're talking about the intent of what the, you know, what the state is trying to accomplish and what the city therefore is also trying to accomplish in being compliant with the state mandate is to provide more affordable housing and to avoid, uh, provide more types of housing. So I, I see it as a, a little bit of, uh, you know, there's a, there's a bright side to it and a downside to it. I think the downside is that a lot of the people that can afford these projects have no intention of renting them because of the high cost of the construction. Um, SB9 might change that if it's a sellable unit, but I think that, you know, the ADUs are definitely, In my experience, at least here in town, I don't see them being used broadly to provide housing. However, I guess in the long term, uh, those ADUs exist and future homeowners may choose to actually have those be rentable units. And so then, you know, but by that measure, we are increasing the housing stock, even if it's not being used that way. Right. So um, anyway, I I think that's with just with regards to adus alone i, I um, whether we're talking about the average being low or being high i would say that i'd be more interested to find out how many of the completed adus are actually being used as rental properties versus not and because i think that again if we're if we're talking about the number 77 versus 44 i would guess that probably 44 is a more realistic number in terms of the of the units that are actually being used for their intended purpose.
2: So uh, as a follow-up question to Norman's comment, um, is it important that those units are being used, those ADUs are being used for housing? Is that something the state is going to verify?
3: Yeah, I, I was just gonna jump in to um, <laughs> respond to that. So uh, HCD actually sees the ADU as a housing, opportunity even if it was not rented to anybody outside of the household for se- for example uh, if uh, 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 you know the the son returning from college needing a place to say that is a housing need and so it's fulfilling even if it's for an in-law you know granny unit for an in-law it is meeting a housing need so uh that is important under the eyes of the state so um Having to rent the unit to some other family that's not part of your own is is not a, is not really a factor. Um, I do want to touch upon an, uh, another point that Board Member Sanchez has raised about some percentage of the ADUs are essentially um, legalizing undocumented units, and that is true. Uh, we we do see some existing units come in via code enforcement and being legalized under an ADU process and. And in those cases uh, on paper, yes, it's a new unit, but it's it's essentially an existing unit that hasn't been was it was never documented so there, there is a small percentage of those units, um, not not a lot.
2: But those those units contribute to our arena goals. Correct. Yeah, correct. Um, so I'm sure there's a lot of units that aren't documented that will remain undocumented that also provide housing. Um, Comments. More comments, Mr. Lau. I
6: just, I just have a, um, because we are talking about a small number. This is why I feel the ADU for certified for the the winner requirement. The I read the document did mention about a uh, Alarmeter point. They have a limit to pay about hundred k to the Navy, seeing the seeing the land is pretty big, you know, in that area. And then it's a right now to try to develop that. So my point is uh, the HCD is already rejected. Meaning rejected, we uh, cannot redeal the winner. So how about talk with the HCD? But how about just talk with the Navy? You don't need to pay that number or maybe ask for the developer to pay for it if they want to make money in that area, to increase the number, to certify the arena. This is what my guess, but I mean, what do you guys think?
2: I'd like to comment a little bit about that, because I I was sitting in watching the the council discussion on this topic just the other night. And there is the issue of equity and sort of distributing the, the housing units around the island so that all the burden of the new housing is not placed on one particular district or one area of the, of the island. And, and that also acknowledges the fact that, you know, there's sort of a, um, a very limited uh, ingress egress uh, capability on the West End versus the East End. Um, so more population here actually creates more of congestion uh, traffic wise uh, on the West End. Um, so anyway, that's something to keep in mind. I, I agree that the Naval Air Station is an opportunity for more, more housing, but I guess it's restricted by um, our agreement with the Navy uh, for the time being. Um, but certainly has a potential uh, for more housing development.
6: Yeah, because the land right now is in West Side. I understand that East Side people maybe not feel fair. Why is development to the West Side? But Red, West Side, that was more land, right? Because East Side looked it's like it's already had a lot of housing there. It's no land at all. So, I mean, just a comment,
2: yeah. Well, I'll, I'll throw in some comments. I I, um, I I agree with what Mr. Buckley was saying. Um, I, I think that the, the sort of blanket upzoning of Alameda just has so many potential downsides. Um, I would hate to see that happen. Um, I and I agree with Miss Matheson that you know I really think we should look to our existing building stock as a method of solving our our housing crisis Um, that, you know, we could maybe instead of this zoning change throughout Alameda, you know, allow owners of existing buildings to uh, add units um, possibly beyond what the zoning allows uh, as long as they do it within their existing building envelope or um at least you know with minimal change that envelope to provide entrance entrances and whatnot Um, i think that could be an important way of increasing uh our 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 units in alameda and i i think that the the housing element is on target with developing the northern waterfront Um, i think there at least we have opportunities for potential uh Cross estuary transportation, water water transportation concepts, and we know we're going to have, with an increased population, we're going to have um, traffic issues with our roadways. So, that along the northern waterfront, at least we have uh, the possibility of other ideas to to help people get to the mainland. Um, I, I also agree with the the development, uh, mixed use development of Park Street and Webster Street. I think those are really important opportunities. Um, and we have to deal with the historic uh, issues on Park Street. But just, just up the street from the historic district, we have um, a site where, uh, what is it? Is it Walgreens that was just recently built on the corner of Lincoln and Park. Um, I, I, I think they've gone out of business or they've moved away. But we have a site there that is a, is a real opportunity for a mixed-use development. Um, and um, probably should have thought about that several years ago when we were approving the the Walgreens um, and the shopping areas. I, I I agree with that concept that that the shopping areas are a real opportunity for uh, more housing and mixed use developments. Um, and that, you know I'm just the ADUs. I also think that's you know something that Alameda needs to take advantage of. Um, but I am concerned about lot coverage issues um i think that we have to provide some open space we have to make sure that these developments just don't end up blanketing uh, alameda with with building sites Um, you know part of the charm of alameda is our is our older historic neighborhoods and i think that could certainly be threatened by uh, too much development Um, and and, you know what i'm not saying in the in the housing element from the perspective of the historical advisory board is, is really anything talking about the value of our historic neighborhoods. It's all about, you know, building more units, building more housing, equity, um, all these topics that don't address the fact that we have this this these really wonderful historic neighborhoods full of, of significant historic buildings, older trees, you know, Nice landscapes, and there's really no acknowledgement of that anywhere in the housing element. Um, And I think there really needs to—we need to think about the protection of these neighborhoods and plan our new housing developments such that we don't threaten those neighborhoods. Um, If we have infill construction, that's if there's an opportunity for infill construction somewhere. in, a, in an established neighborhood that 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 infill development is done uh, in a manner that respects the context of that existing neighborhood. And I've seen that kind of ignored in several developments in Alameda. Um, but I think it's important. We we just we we shouldn't throw away what we've got. Um, scrambling to comply with these arena goals, I think we really need to be aware of of the great things about our Alameda neighborhoods and protect them. With that, I pass it on to other comments. Mr. Sanchez.
4: So, um, sorry, I'm gonna come back again to staff with another question. Um, So in the letter from AAPS, uh, one of the suggested approaches was the College of Alameda and and student housing. Does student housing count towards the rena requirements?
3: Um, I think to the extent that there's a demonstrated need, you know, there's there's student housing need, then then and those are um, actual housing units. Um, it, it, I think it's a case by case basis. Generally, I mean, again, you have demonstrated need and you're you're providing housing supply to address the need. Then yes, that
4: can be okay. And then the the other question, uh, while I have you, is there was also mention about uh, trying to focus development or target development of housing on vacant properties. And, you know, aside from the point and, and the estuary, you know, the properties along the estuary and some of the other areas that have already been mentioned in in AAPS's letter, do you have a sense or can you give us an idea of, how many open parcels are there within the R zones? I mean, are there a, a number of vacant parcels, or is it? I mean, they seem to be far, few and far between, in in my opinion. But
3: yeah, the largest site I can think of is probably the what's called co- what we call the Mapes Ranch site, which is um, on Fernside, right as you uh, as you cross the bridge, the Fruitvale Bridge into Alameda. It's right mm-hmm. on the left. Hand side um, that is there, there's been residential development approved, but it's for 12 single family homes, and I think the property owner um, has expressed an interest to um, allow further development on site. I think that's only that's the largest residential site in the R district that I can think of today, mm-hmm. but. You know you're right there's a lot of um you know there are smaller parcels elsewhere you know i think there are some undeveloped parcels along um fernside and maybe like madison in those areas mm-hmm. these these remnant parcels that don't meet current measure a standards and and, and or minimum lot size standards and have stayed right. vacant for all those years right um, i think you know i can think of those smaller lots but you know, you're, we're few, not looking right? at large I mean, sites. We're not right. looking at large sites where you could build a lot of multifamily, which is why um, our initial strategy for the art districts has been to talk about, well, maybe we do some upzoning to create the opportunities so um, you get more units on the existing parcels. Now, there could be more work done, more discussion about how that occurs, whether that's entirely within the envelopes of the existing buildings, or you know, or maybe they're in another building in the backyard, but subject to certain standards. Those are kind of the details in the zoning that we haven't yet worked out. The other, the other um, thought there too is the that it depends on um, you know that the table I showed you earlier with how the numbers starting with the approved projects, uh, the the there's another what eighteen hundred or nineteen hundred units, close to two thousand units that the city council can make in. Uh, can decide to make an impact on in the arena if they were to choose to allow land swaps or give the city dedicate the city land to to the housing um it, it depends on the outcomes of, of the those projects too i mean okay. if incidental if terminals was not approved and they don't get the 600 units then that adds more burden to sure um looking at the shopping centers parks and reps of streets the the stations and and of course the the residential neighborhoods so it's yeah. and i think it's important to understand there's a dynamic here and, sure and there's a dynamic that we're not sure what the exact outcome is but as we move forward to 2022 we will be bringing those projects to uh the city council i mean it also depends on the discussion with the navy on the navy cap realistically i'm not sure i mean it's we're negotiating with the navy so with the federal government large bureaucracy I, I don't know what that timeline it's hard to pinpoint a timeline or or gauge you know sure. reality but could there be a phased approach you know there's been discussion about hey would hcd accept some sort of phasing or adjustments along the way that certainly is a possibility but we just you know don't don't have enough um details to to pinpoint that yet which is why the initial proposal though well we might we will need to up zone but to what extent i think uh that could still be the, uh, determined.
4: Okay. Yeah, well, I think, uh, just thank you for, for the explanation. I think my, my last comment would be just um, that I, so I tend to agree that a lot of our neighborhoods don't lend themselves well to, you know, sort of a, a huge increase in the density. Um, but that said, I feel like every, you know, most residential neighborhoods in Alameda have within them, you know, small retail corridors that I think do lend themselves to, you know, to having increased density. Um, And I think, you know, maybe smaller opportunities at mixed use development, similar to what um, AAPS mentions on at the, along the estuary, which again, I think that development is also, you know, could be very interesting and very important because that, uh, if you're, if you have housing over retail, it it makes it more realistic that people can live function without without having to own a car and that they can you know deal with their daily necessities uh, by being within the within a corridor that that offers retail but i think all i see a lot of r1 neighborhoods in our area that that have sort of these um you know the ensignal market for example i look at a building like that and think like you know, that could easily sustain, you know, added height and, and additional units as an example, right? And that's something that comes to mind that's in my neighborhood. Um, now we're a bunch of California bungalows. Could I foresee us lot splitting and fitting four units? No, I don't think so. Um, we, I don't think we'd make the 1200 if we divided our lot in half, but so I, I don't know. I think that, um, I think that there are opportunities i think the targeted approach that aaps uh suggests has some merit in that sense and that i do feel that the r1s can support higher density but i don't feel that they can on a blanket level so much as there are maybe opportunities within the r1s that do get sort of that fairness that we're looking for throughout the island so that the burden isn't all falling on one side or the other or, or the waterfront but that there is a chance at info, but I'm I think that that might lead to more success, I guess in in terms of actually achieving some of the higher density that we're shooting for.
3: Yeah, and I definitely think there's uh, more work to be done. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's probably some level of ground truthing that we need to do. Um, you know, just people adding new units on their own property they're likely going to take the path of least resistance and cost. So sure. if i if i live in a queen anne victorian and i have a high basement already, that will be my strategy to add another unit, right? If i need it. And that will likely be fallen within our ADU ordinance and they might take that route. Sure. So uh, it's it's i think for us it's really identifying those opportunities first and then trying to quantify what are how many basements are there in Alameda that could generate units mm-hmm. uh, and maybe just, you know, do taking that path and analysis.
2: Okay, cool. Thanks. Other comments, Mr. Lau?
6: Sorry, uh, maybe, yeah, I have just last question. Um, <laughs> I saw uh, Lincoln Avenue is a, so many commercial is empty and um, it's, a, it's awakened. And um, did the city consider thinking about I know you may be thinking about the issues, but not the mixture. Changing the sum because a lot of people buying online, and then like Lincoln Avenue is I saw a lot for the the commercial unit is vacant. Do you consider changing it to become residential, and then like you'll be certified for winner requirement? I mean, just is what i think, but
3: yeah, I mean that's more of a general plan kind of policy discussion, and with the with the. Latest general plan that was adopted, we we did do some cleaning up of where there's inconsistent um, general plan designation and the zoning and existing use, but there was not a uh, there was not an effort to try to recolor the map, if you will, to to proactively convert res- commercial areas to residential, primarily because you know a lot of the areas that you're talking about, Long Lincoln, are or the historic stations that were historically uh business for business um and and um right this would be the c1 zoning right henry where we would allow uh dwelling units in vertical mixed use configuration so we we knew that that opportunity exists and so i think we just left it as is um so so yeah we, we basically thought you know if somebody were to build a unit above a market that you know, that that would be an opportunity without having to get rid of the store first to build the unit. So, yeah,
2: uh, hopefully I answered that question. Ms. Witt, did you have some comments?
5: I wanted to ask about the golf course that's on Bay Farm is that is that owned by the city? And yes,
3: and it's designated a public open space. So we I don't think we can convert that to private residential development without a vote of the people. Okay.
2: It'd have some serious protests over that. <laughs> Watch okay. out. They just redid. That's it, okay. Too,
3: so. <laughs> there might be Twitters already on
2: social media. I mean,
5: you know, the it's drought keeps getting ground. the trout the, the trout the drought keeps getting worse. So and we need housing. So. Well,
2: looking at the hazard map, that's all <laughs> going to be underwater. So, um, probably not a good place to build housing. Yeah,
3: but in all fairness, uh, the the general plan does recognize the golf course as a recreation asset for the city. So that that is an important asset for the city. So we're not we're not eyeing that for housing.
2: <laughs> Ms. Jones, did you have some comments? No comments. I, I have one additional comment, and uh, it's it's just a very specific comment. Um, about the housing element, under HP 10, it proposes the Mills Act as being uh, an economic incentive to promote housing. That is not what the Mills Act is about. The Mills Act is specifically about uh, promoting restoration and preservation of qualified historic buildings. So I think that that either needs to be rewarded or struck entirely i i I agree that the Mills Act is an important incentive for Alameda residents commercial building owners but to tie it to increase in housing units i think is 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 wrong it's not what the Mills Act was intended for and so I'd like to see that corrected
3: yes yes thank you we've 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 actually flagged that um, okay, <laughs> I'm not sure where where it came from exactly, but I had caught that. Okay, good. As well, it's 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 recognizing the purpose of the Mills Act. And yes, really what it's for and it's not and economic need... development and it's really not a housing tool, but could it be used in some way to facilitate housing possibly but but that's not its primary purpose. No, its
2: purpose is is restoration and preservation yes. of mm-hmm. existing buildings. Yes. And if okay. it somehow if 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 the existing building has additional housing units great but it's not for that purpose right um Um, and chair saxby
3: may i that just reminded me there was a there was a question that you had or, or a comment made about the the um housing element needing to also focus on existing housing stock and the preservation and maintenance Um, I I would like to say that uh, it is actually part of the housing element. It's probably not in the spotlight where we're talking about all of the the arena and all of those policies. But um, if you remember earlier in my presentation tonight, the housing element does have multiple components, one of which is also including um, looking at our existing housing stock, as well as removing governmental barriers. And so in, in that context, You know, the city's ability to um, encourage and help our current homeowners upkeep and maintain their homes is uh, one of the programs. I believe it's a program in our- Yeah, I saw that. Current housing element. And we will continue to do that. And so all of our policies and rules that we have in place for preservation and um, design review exemptions, encouraging um, upkeep and investment in homes, those programs will still continue. And yeah, I, think just, the, I think the Mills Act can also kind of fall within that
2: scope. absolutely I th- I, think, I think maybe it just got kind of uh, left aside when um, creating the goals for the housing element update right. it, um, it, it seemed to me that it didn't get the attention that it it deserves um, Does the staff have enough direction from this board? As far as our comments, it seems like we're supporting more targeted zoning, not blanket zoning changes, and um, you know, reusing existing building stock as much as possible, and um, you also know, focus I think
3: on preservation.
2: Preservation. I think mean, mm-hmm. I think Mr. Sanchez's comments about being there being pockets where um, zoning can be looked at makes a lot of sense. Um, and
3: and basically looking at our our districts and neighborhoods in more finer grain detail i mean that comment is consistent with what we've heard over these workshops as well so um thank you thank you for that input
2: okay so unless there's any other comments from this board i'm going to close our discussion of item 7c okay no comments what mr tai
3: oh i was just going to thank the board for the time on on
2: this issue. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a great discussion. Thank you, everyone, for contributing. Uh, I know it's getting late, so um, moving on to uh, agenda item number eight, board communications. Do we have any communications? Raise your hand. No communications. Uh, agenda item nine, staff communications.
3: No, again, just thank you for your time, and as well as the public speakers tonight. Thank you.
2: Yeah, I thought, you know, AAPS's and Ms. Matheson's comments were both right on target. Um, oral communications. Once again, we have an opportunity for the public to address this board on topics that are not part of our agenda. Um, do we have any public speakers? Uh, currently, no. I have. Just out of curiosity, how many people are, are listening in or watching? Currently, there's six attendees. uh, One person just raised their hand, Billy Chu. To speak as an oral communication? I believe so, but they just lowered their hand as well. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, So no oral communications. With that, our our meeting is adjourned. Thank you very much, everyone, for your comments. And uh, since this is our last meeting of the year, happy holidays.
5: Happy holidays.
2: Happy, Likewise, holidays. Happy holidays! Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Good night. Good night.
4: Thank you.